detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to the Care Board, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, the crossroads where science fiction, horror, and fantasy meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartlebaugh, and I'm joined by my co-host, Bill Van Vagel. Bill, how are you tonight? I'm rocking and rolling. My mind is spinning from all these 2020 films I've been watching lately, so it's nice to actually talk about what I've watched instead of keeping all my thoughts to myself. (laughs) That's right. And yeah, tonight's episode, really excited for it, is our top horror films of 2020 it's one of two lists that we do here we're going to do the top horror films of 2020 which is 2020 is now on the uh rear view mirror thankfully but we uh we do want to go back and just take a look and kind of uh commemorate some of the of the movies that we really liked this year and then we're going to do the same for science fiction fantasy uh and really any other genre really the we have the horror list and then we have the everything else list (laughs) And we're going to be doing that soon. And we are bringing in guests for both episodes. For this episode, we're going to bring in Greg Bench. And Greg has been on the show before. Greg uh, did uh, several episodes with us in the past, uh, several VOD roulette episodes. We also did a really cool wilderness horror episode. Greg, uh, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing really good. Uh, a little tired from shoveling some snow because somehow we magically got about five, six inches all in one day. Otherwise, it gave me time to, you know, obviously catch up on a movie or two. Yeah, we got snow, too. That was, uh, we haven't had any, really. We're here in Maryland, uh, and you're in Ohio, right, Greg? Yes. Yeah, so we got snow today. The kids are so excited about that, but I did the same thing, kind of caught up. Was watching some of the, we'll do, we'll cover this in another episode, but was uh, catching up with some of the Sundance 2021 movies uh brand new movies so some of the movies will be coming out in 2021 and there is some stuff that looks promising there so i got to see a couple of those and but tonight we are talking all about the horror movies of 2020 and what we're going to do is in a few moments here we're going to go around the horn and talk about our top tens we'll take turns and then at the end we'll talk about our our uh, honorable mentions our runners up our top five runners up and then any other movies too that maybe hit it had an impact uh, maybe positive or negative. We can always take a moment to talk about maybe some of the movies that just didn't quite land for us in 2020. Um, it's typical to kind of do a, you know, like a recap or a basic uh, overview of the year. I mean, I don't even know how much I even want to say about 2020 now. It, I think the thing that's interesting is, I've said this on on recent episodes, that 2020 had a lot of, uh, you know, surprises, obviously, for everybody. It also had a lot of uncertainty, and there was a lot of potential anxiety. And, um, you know, 
more isolation, I think, than people had experienced in the past. And all of these sort of factors that, in a way, uh, probably only primed the environment even more for people to really uh, be drawn to or indulge in horror and horror movies. And, I mean, we even have – there's there, I don't know if they'll end up on our list, but there were even a few movies that were – were made and conceived after the you know the big thing the quarantine related to COVID nineteen that happened this year. There were films that were created in that and created in that space after COVID happened, and I'm seeing some of that. You know that theme of uh, pandemics and infections and even and even uh, viruses that look a lot like COVID-19 are showing up in the movies that are that are at Sundance right now. The, the slate of crap of movies of 2021, COVID is obviously going to loom kind of large there too. But there were a couple of films that were able to address that. And even the movies that I don't, that, that didn't, there are, I think our, our horror movie landscape has been moving in more and more towards more personal, isolated, uh, even psychological horror films that have a very realistic bent and even a very somber bent. You know, there were a couple times this year when I was like, just give me something fun. You know, horror was always kind of an escapism for me. And so many of these films, there's some very great movies uh, that are also very, very dark. But I'm really looking forward to kind of delving into that a little bit. And we're not going to go into great detail about all of the movies, but, you know, my overall feel uh, almost all the movies I saw, with the exception of five or six early in the year, uh, the, the horror films, they were all seen at home. They were seen on a, uh, we have a projector, so we saw some of them that way, but a lot of them, for the most part, on a small screen, not with a big audience, a very different experience than uh, than I typically have. So, But that being said, a, I saw a lot of movies that when I was making my list, there's a lot of strong movies. I think the indie film definitely rose to the fore even more so. It's It's been on the rise. And and this year, I think indie horror dominated, you know, and it, it became mainstream horror in some in some cases. So, uh, Bill, you have any general thoughts about 2020 as you're just looking back on it? You know, I know you're you're prepping lists for for this podcast and for Land of the Creeps. Yes, uh, for those that are listeners of both, uh, the list I have for this episode is different than the list I'll have for Land of the Creeps because I felt you, the listenership, deserved new, fresh, quality content. So I made an alternative list, but it's not by any means a lesser list. It's just an alternative list because it's funny. When you go over your lists, you kind of peg them all down. And I, I had thought when I before I wrote them all down, oh, I've probably seen 30, 40, 50 films. I'm now at 103 for 2020. And I'm still going to be watching more this week. So I'll probably end up by the end of this week, probably 110, 115 movies in. And I agree with uh, with um, Greg and with Nathan by saying that, yes, the indies were dominant in it only out of necessity because the major studios weren't producing anything. So they pretty much kind of ruled the roost. And in a, in a certain kind of way, it was really nice to see because they usually have to fight and hunt and peck and battle to try to get their name out there when, you know, MGM or Universal or what have you has their big films out. So it was really nice to see the smaller, lower budgeted, highly scripted films get their place and their due and the credit that they deserve. The other thoughts on 2020, and Nathan and I have talked off screen about this many times, is this is the year of the movie that is a little bit of a slower burn 
and something represents something, usually aging or sexism or something. And that theme is heavy through a lot of the films that I watched. And so every once in a while, it's nice just to see a slasher. Every once in a while, it's nice to see a creature feature. So the way that the year set up for horror is way different. We also saw a lot of movies themed based on the pandemic. Uh, and there are a few that will probably get mentioned tonight. So I'm really looking forward to this. I always look forward to this uh, year-end review wrap-up kind of deal because, one, it's a weight off my shoulders because now I don't have to keep this list stuck away, away from my daughter and everybody else stepping on. And secondly, I want to see what everybody else thinks. So let's bring it on. Yeah, when you talk about people stepping on your list, I think you're the first person that means literally your daughter stepping on the computer, right? <laughs> That's a story for another podcast. Yeah, right. So, and Greg, how about you? Are you any uh, overall thoughts on 2020? Oh, yeah, you guys you guys pretty much summed everything up. I mean, it was just an odd year for everybody. Um, trying to find that mix of when to watch the horror as it was coming out. Uh, I was kind of torn on some aspects because I am a, a, a huge fan of, of the actual theatrical experience. So not knowing how long the pandemic was going to last kind of delayed some of my viewings for some things, even up to like the final few days. And I mean, I'll touch upon that movie when I get to it, but I mean, it, it, you know, when I was invited, I was like, okay. So I started creating a list and then all of a sudden it just disappeared and it wasn't available. And I'm thinking, well, that's what I get for waiting for the last minute. But then it, it, it reappeared actually this week. So, um, otherwise I think, you know, hopefully 2021 will bring a, somewhat of a new, way of showing these movies in theaters it i don't think we'll ever have the same um and that's kind of sad in some ways but it, it it could be good we'll just wait and see on on what happens and you know i'm just ready to just dive into these movies so and the, the other thing i wanted to mention i forgot was as a result of the theater shot down one of the upsides and i'm sure you guys will all attest to this is the rise of the drive-in Yes. I saw I saw more films this summer in the drive-in than I normally have. Like I normally go, we have. I'm fortunate enough that I have two drive-ins within about a 45 minute drive, and we usually go once or twice a summer with my daughter and my wife, and you know, make it a family outing. This year, I went five, six times, kind of because we're all cinemaphiles. Once also because we just want to get out of the house during quarantine, but it made for a pleasurable experience. It's that. When you're 12 years old and your dad took my, when I was like 12, my dad took me out to the drive-in to see the last Starfighter. I'll never forget watching it on the big at night. And that's the kind of thing everybody kind of kernel, you know, got the kernel of popcorn, got their soda fountain drink. And I'm sure I'm guarantee within America and Canada and in all over the world, the drive-ins are going to start being made again because people saw there's an interest and there's money to be made. So I really like that trend. Yeah, they're they're actually renovating one close to where I'm at. Uh, they had such such business over the last summer that they're going to renovate all the concessions. So it's uh it's coming back around. It's it's really good. Good 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 point, Bill. 
Yeah, my family and I lived at the drive-in pretty much this summer. We have a really uh, a big one near us uh, here. It's a Benji's drive-in. It's one of the biggest ones, I think, in the country. And uh, we, yeah, we were pretty much there all uh, all summer long and uh, saw lots of great movies. In fact, not so many weeks ago, we kind of braved the cold and we went to to a, a double feature that had that was showing uh, Godzilla versus the uh, Astro Monster. <laughs> And a, and a fun Russian sci-fi movie. So uh, it's been really cool to do that. Yeah, so really we'll go ahead and we'll get started. And the last thing I wanted to say was that uh, there are there were several movies. Honestly speaking, this top 10 and even the top 20, uh, the maybe the top five are pretty set in stone. But a lot of these could just move back and forth. A lot of saw a lot of really good movies. One thing that was interesting for me this year, and maybe because of the tone of the movies and the nature in which I watched them, I found a lot of times a second viewing would change my feelings on the movie quite a bit. In fact, it got to the point where I really ended up spent a lot of my time towards the end of this year not watching new things as much as rewatching movies that I had a mm, meh or almost lukewarm experience to and finding that there was a lot more there than when I initially saw them. So I think that was an interesting aspect of, of watching this movies in this environment. You have the opportunity a lot of times, whether you're buying them on VOD or they're showing up on the streaming services, that when I see a movie in the theater, I've seen it and I'm usually referring back to that last viewing unless it's already come out on DVD or something like that. So this was interesting because it, there are a lot of movies that I think are built for that kind of viewing where you watch it, you soak it in, you can go back and watch it again. Uh, I will say there are several movies here that there were a lot of genre bending movies this year in the sense that they could be almost categorized under many different genres. And one and one of those is that there were a lot of sci-fi horrors. Uh, I had so many horror films here that there were a couple of movies that are on the fence where I really asked the question, what's the main gist of the film? Is this primarily a horror film? Is it intended for uh, be terrifying or scary or or is it intended to really focus on the science fiction? So there's a couple movies like that that had sci-fi elements that ended up on this list uh, when you could categorize them as as maybe fully science fiction and vice versa. So uh, just keep that in mind. There are some that may be mentioned and they may not be on this list of mine, but they may be on the next. So, but without further uh, further ado, let's go ahead. We're going to save our honorable mentions till the end after the the top 10. So we're just going to jump right into the top 10 itself. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and start with our guest, Greg. Greg, what do you have for your number 10 horror film of 2020? All right. Number 10 is <clears throat> I went with a anthology and it is called the mortuary Col collection. And it is directed by Ryan Spindle. And the main star that everybody would know would be Clancy Brown. The, yes, the, the, uh, the Kurgan himself from Highlander or Mr. Krabs, however, or whoever, uh, you would recognize this man, but it's a, it's just a, a fun is probably the first word I would put to it. It's a fantasy horror anthology where this, uh, young woman, uh, goes to the mortuary seeking a job and maybe some other ulterior motives, but it's all, it's all given pretty quick. Um, but what really made this movie stand out was it had this fabulous soundtrack to it. Some original songs by this group called the Mondo boys, uh, find me in the fall or their song suicide. They're both very reminiscent to the fifties and sixties era style of music, uh, maybe like a little rockabilly, but 
I, 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 I really, this one hit that bone and I had to make sure that I put it on the top 10 with uh, the mortuary collection. Yeah, I uh, I really love this one. Uh, I think it's a fantastic film, and I think Clancy Brown is great. There's a very interesting scene involving childbirth. Yes, and I will leave it at that. I also thought the one of the strengths of this film was the wraparound story. In a lot of these anthology films, the wraparound story is a throwaway, and in this film, the wraparound story played an integral part to the main storyline of the movie. So. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen this one, yeah, definitely go check this one out. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one too. It didn't uh, didn't quite make the list, but the trick with anthology movies is a lot of times there's one or two, you know one or two good stories, and that's about it. There's always that uh, what's you know it always feels like a balancing act, and sometimes you mm-hmm. might have something very memorable and some that aren't. There was only about one here that didn't really resonate with me, and that's partially because it was so so short. Uh, it's not bad. It's I think it's one of the earliest stories. But the thing that that I feel is like uh, the thing about the mortuary collection. Yeah, the thing about the mortuary collection is that stylistically, this is a this is clearly a movie that doesn't have a really big budget. But they you wouldn't necessarily know that to look at it. I mean, it looks beautiful visually speaking. Uh, the way they created that sort of retro look to the town and that very like autumnal feel that kind of almost gave me like a something wicked this way comes kind of vibe. And in fact, that character that Clancy Brown plays reminds me a lot of um, the Moundstroud character from Ray Bradbury's Halloween Tree. You know, there are a lot mm-hmm. of elements that feel similar there. In fact, Clancy Brown looks like he could be playing uh, Angus Scrim playing the tall man <laughs> in Phantasm. He seems to be kind of like uh, he he he's drawing on something there. I really liked his performance. I thought the movie was fun, and it, it it's it's both gruesome and ghoulish in the tales from the crypt sort of way. Yeah, that's, that's a good choice, Greg. I like that one a lot. And Bill, how about your number ten? All right. And I like how you put how things were floating because uh, Nathan and I were literally scratching out and changing three minutes before we began <laughs> because <laughs> you're, things are popping in your head. And what Nathan says is absolutely correct. You rewatch some films. And I had some films when I rewatched go up. I also had some when I rewatched go down because at the point when you saw it the first time, there might have only been 20 films. Out. By the end of the year, you've seen the totality of it. And you're like, no, this doesn't quite make the cut. So that's what made this so much more difficult. So for number 10, I'm going with one that I know we all like, Nathan and I, it's Body Melt. No, 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 not Body Melt. (laughs) (laughs) Old Australian classic that a few episodes back you can check it. Now, number 10, I went with one that I had heard a lot about until I finally saw it. And I thought the main lead acting performance was pretty good. And that's 2020's Unhinged. And Unhinged is stars Russell Crowe and Karen Pistorius and Gabriel Bateman. And it's directed by Derek Bort. It's a film about basically road rage. And Karen Pistorius is a woman going through a divorce. She's got a, a young boy. Well, not young boy. I think he's early teens, maybe. And they're on the, on the highway. 
and they're driving and there's uh, on the freeway and they get off to get out of the congestion and they have a confrontation with another driver played by Russell Crowe where he thinks she should have been more polite. She just blows him off and keeps going. And he, let's just say he doesn't take too kindly to it. And it gets into a situation where she gets followed by him and he becomes more and more aggressive and things kind of un, get unhinged. Uh, there's some scenes with violence. There's some scenes where kidnapping takes place. You very much get a dual kind of feel with it. Uh, it's a cat and mouse where she's trying to get away and he's chasing. And no matter what she does, she can never get away from the guy. And there's some scenes involving cell phones and a diner. It's It really ratchets up the tension. Uh, it shows what really can happen because this is one of those horror films. A lot of the horror films, you check your brain at the door and you just go with it. This could happen. Now, some of the scenes were a bit on the fantastic side, but this kind of scenario realistically could happen, which is what makes it scary. It's not a reality show, but it's a movie based in a reality that could occur on any major highway in any major metropolitan area. So, and there is at the end, I really like, there's a song, the old Blue Oyster cult song, Don't Fear the Reaper, and they do an updated version of that. So, Jackson, when you're listening to this, I go for this in my soundtrack. So, um, I don't know what you guys thought about this film, but I quite enjoyed this film. Uh, you know, uh, Bill, I, I saw this, I think, back over the summer, and I, I liked it. I didn't uh, – I thought Crow was giving a very interesting performance, and he is he's, – he's settled into a very different uh, place in his career now. I feel like Russell Crowe is channeling uh, John Goodman more of the time than not these days. He does look surprisingly similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, well, that and yeah, and and he's and, – and as such, he's not relying on the kind of like, you know – uh, muscle bound sort of good guy uh, and, and, and pretty boy looks, you know, those are sort of out the window for, for now. So he settled into that kind of craggy character actor sort of feel, which I like a lot about this and unhinged. It feels like it would fit perfectly into that, uh, that kind of movie, like a movie that I think of from night uh, back in 97, back when, when Crow was in the more of the leading man roles, uh, a movie called breakdown with Kurt Russell. And, oh, yeah. uh -huh. and in fact, you could almost see, I, I mentioned Goodman, but you can almost see Crow, uh, another great actor who who passed before his time was, um, oh man, it just left my head. Uh, he's in Breakdown. He's the bad guy. Um, I'll edit this, but <laughs> Jay, uh, oh, come on. He was so good. He was in Pleasantville too. Yeah, um, I know exactly who uh, you're talking about. Yeah, that happened to me. Um, yeah, there's, there's three, na three names. He has three names. Yes, Emmett. Yeah. No, 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 because he was also in Needful Things. Uh, mm -hmm. I got to look at it now because I do want to give him not Ed Harris. No. no, not Ed Harris. No, he's the bad guy. He's a he was JT Walsh. Yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm just gonna start that sentence again and I'll yeah. let it, but um, yeah, in, in fact, JT Walsh, who was one of the, the villains in Breakdown, he uh, hair, uh, hmm. Crow's performance in this movie isn't that different, but yeah, it it has that suspense thriller feel of a movie from maybe the '90s with a little bit more of the sensibilities, the paranoid sensibilities that are floating around in our current atmosphere, uh, which I think we could say about a lot of those movies. But yeah, I I did like Unhinged. Did you see it, Greg? I did not, 
it was a conversation that I had with a friend that kind of left it on the, the, the cusp. It was, he put it at, underneath horror adjacent. And so I kind of just left it as off, off my list. I'm kind of feel bad that I, that I left it off the list. Cause it sounds pretty good. Yeah, I think it's probably fair. It is a little bit more of a suspense thriller, uh, maybe more in, the, like I say, the duel or the breakdown. But I always enjoy uh, being on the road and being in a car. There's a sense of safety you have. But then when that sense of safety is hindered, I just it's, you realize it's a it's a basically it's a prison on wheels if if you end up in the wrong situation. So mm-hmm. uh, that, this movie taps into some of that, I think. So. Uh, my number 10 movie is a movie called the beach house. And I saw it earlier this year, actually before it had released, it released on shutter. It's directed by Jeffrey a Brown. And I saw it at a online film festival. That's one of the other things that I think one of the maybe, uh, upsides to 2020 has been that many of these film festivals have moved to a online viewing experience where more people can participate and you can buy tickets and you can watch movies. And I saw this one as part of a film festival where I was watching a lot of movies all, you know, in a, in a row. And this one definitely stood out. It starts out in uh, it starts out one way and ends another way. And you have two kids. They're, they're in college. They are a guy and a girl. They're together and they, they go to a beach house that belongs to, his parents. When they get there, there's two other people, an older couple already there. And they're behaving kind of strangely. And they, but they say, Hey, we know your parents. We would love it if you just stay here uh, for, for the, for the evening, you know, you can, you can hang out. We'll have dinner. It'll be great. Seems awkward, but they say, okay, let's do it. Have the older couple uh, end up sitting down with them and, and drugs become involved and everyone's kind of, uh, you know, a little bit out of it at this point, things get a little bit trippy. And at this point in the film, you're set up for what seems to be a psychological thriller involving uh, this couple and the older couple and, and a little bit of tension that is happening between the younger couple as they're considering where our future's taking us. And the cast is all really good. Uh, the, the primary star, Leanne Liberetto, she's really, she's really good as the young girl. You got Noah Lagrasse. What I liked is they bring in uh, Jake Weber, who is a, also, I think, an underrated actor. He was on the old show uh, American Gothic. He's here. Uh, Marion Nagel is also in it. And this cast, it's very, it has a very independent feel, but there's a lot of tensions coming to the rise. And then what's interesting is this movie goes a completely different direction and suddenly you're watching a movie that's a mix of of lovecraft it's a mix of shirley jackson and it's a mix of war of the worlds in a sense a different sort of take on hg wells idea of an invasion and a, and, and and not just invasion of earth or takeover of of the planet but uh, an element of war of the worlds that's often forgot about is that there's a terraforming going on that things are going to change and the world as you know it may not stay the world that you uh, remember and in a way beach house is a psychological thriller it's a psychedelic trippy horror film and it's a creature feature all in one and it kind of keeps going in ways that you you don't necessarily guess and to me it had one of the most uh uncomfortable or unsettling 
sequences in uh, happening in a kitchen and involving a, a pair of salad tongs that ugh, I don't even want to think too much about. <laughs> yeah, I, I have seen this and we've talked about this one before. It is a freaky yet psychedelic yet trippy yet all over the place. It kind of throws a lot of concepts into it, which is one of the reasons I didn't quite make my top list because it it was kind of, I wouldn't say all over the place, but a lot of factors came into play for this film. But it was well acted. It, it really shows if you've never taken certain psychedelic drugs and you don't want to, you're not going to after you watch this film. <laughs> and But there, what I do like about it is, is it kind of starts as a slow burn and then it ramps up. And it kind of becomes a, there's a mystery element to this. There's a monster creature feature element to this. There's a survival element to this. It's one that kind of keeps you on your toes and you got to keep paying attention. Now, this isn't the film you want to watch if it's 1130 at night. You just want to throw something on to watch because you do got to kind of keep up with it. Uh, but I did enjoy it. It was an entertaining watch. So, yeah, if you haven't seen this, I'd say go watch it. 11.30 nights exactly when I watched it. <laughs> I watched about two other films, and I thought I was going to fall asleep, and suddenly it just took off. And what Because I was tired, not because of the movie. And then it took off. And to me, there were a lot of similar films like this that dealt with that element of helplessness. You know, and That's a big thing that I think we were all feeling, even at the time I saw this, and yet I think it handles it in a kind of a, a, a beautiful and different way. It's like the Swiss Army knife of horror movies, though. You're right. There's about there's a little bit of something for everybody in there. Greg, did you get the chance to see this? I, I did not. It's on my list, but I didn't end up actually making making it a viewing. So it it, uh, it will be viewed soon. Make it make it one that you watch when the kids are in bed because they'll be asking too many questions about what's going on. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, no, no. and it's it's also it definitely has a a good bit of uh, body horror in it. So and 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 pretty um pretty intense body horror at that. So Greg, how about your number nine? Number nine, I went with a, a little Russian film called Sputnik. It is a story of a uh, like a lone survivor, an astronaut, or in this case, a cosmonaut in the 80s, comes back to Earth, and he's not alone. He's carrying a little visitor within his body. Um, and and then it's uh, just what unfolds from there. It, it plays out like a mystery and then a creature feature. Uh, but I also kind of liked how there was an underlying story of, of uh, family and adoption and and um just kind of like loneliness if you will um but for some reason sputnik just really ticked off those boxes and uh i had to get it on the list so number nine is sputnik yeah this is a film that i really really enjoyed but i considered this for the purpose of this podcast a sci-fi film so there's a strong possibility this comes up in a future episode with victor rodriguez Yes, uh, <laughs> like like Bill says, I think this will definitely be showing up on another <laughs> list. I did do ultimately decide it was uh, for the sci-fi list. However, I definitely concur. Great pick, uh, Greg. And just because it's going to be, you know, we, we've considered it 
on the other list doesn't mean that this isn't also a horror film because I definitely think it is. And that's one of the great things about this is this is a horror film and it's a creature feature and it's a really good creature feature. But the thing that surprised me based on watching the trailer, you look at the poster, this is a thoughtful movie. There are ideas in this movie. It is a movie about ideas while it's also a movie featuring a pretty cool monster, you know, where the, the special effects were not always exactly at the A-level tier, but the way in which they're handled and the way in which the creature's built into the story, I thought was spot on. Yes, sir. Yeah, for anybody that thinks, oh, Russian, oh, it means it's low budget. That means it's going to be a communist uh, fest about this, that. No, 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 no. This is, this is right up there with what Hollywood could produce. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I would say it starts to go back to the more thoughtful science fiction movies because there are a lot of the more big-budget Russian movies in recent years that have been mostly about the bombast. This one goes back to some of those ideas that authors like Stanislaw Lem, who did Solaris, uh, incorporated into their into their work. So definitely, definitely check it out. Bill, how about your number nine? My number nine is one that was the last film I saw before the world went to heck. And I very much remember exactly sitting in the theater watching this. I had my sister-in-law was there because my wife was in Florida at the time. And that is The Invisible Man. And The Invisible Man, I thought, was really well done. It was shot really smartly. It was directed by the one and only Lee Whannell, who a lot of people will know. And Elizabeth Moss It is a woman who is physically abused by her husband. And she's stuck in a situation at the beginning where, honestly, when the movie starts, you're not quite sure where it's going. Because it's kind of out of character for the traditional story of the Invisible Man. And then you find out how she gets out. And then you kind of find out what she does to survive. And this one's almost could be on the sci-fi list because it does get science-y for part of it. At least for the explanation end of it. And I thought the acting was really, really strong. And it took you on a trip. And this was a fun movie to see in the theater. And the ultimate conclusion I found very satisfying. Although a little weird, but satisfying. I don't know what you guys thought about this one, but I thought it definitely deserved to be on this list. You're going to have to wait just a little bit longer <laughs> to find <laughs> out what I thought. But it is, I did consider it horror. It will, we will be talking about it again. Greg, how about you? Yeah, I'll follow up with uh, with Nathan's comment. Uh, we we can talk about that in a little bit. So, um, but yes, it's definitely gonna gonna be there. Well, so yeah, no, no talk right now about the Invisible <laughs> Man, but I will talk about a different kind of man that I never would have expected. Really, that this movie would have come anywhere near my. <laughs> You guys are laughing, so I wonder if we were talking about the same movie. Uh, <laughs> the uh, this movie, I again, I didn't. I just learned about it not so long ago. I watched the trailer. I thought this does not look promising. Uh, it looked very much like a sort of schlocky teen paranormal thriller. And then when I watched it, I, even watching it, I kept sitting there kind of going back and forth and the weighing of your hands are sort of like, well, I like this. What's going on here? And yet after watching the movie, it just stuck with me to continue to grow in my mind, which kind of makes sense given the movie's themes. But this is 2020's The Empty Man. 
It's directed by David Pryor. It did have a theatrical release earlier in October, but I missed that completely. And I wasn't going to the movies at that, but the, the regular theater at that point anyway, but this is uh, it, it's, it's almost difficult to explain too much about this movie without seeing it. And it is a longer one. It's on the longer side. It's a two plus some hour movie and stars James Badgedale, who I think is really good in almost everything. And he's really good here. Uh, he plays a, uh, a cop who has a lot of tragedy in his life and who ultimately ends up investigating the disappearance of a, of a young woman who is the, the daughter of a neighbor and where that story goes starts to involve lots of different things involves an urban legend about a spooky boogeyman that appears under bridges and it also involves a potential cult that seems to worship some sort of uh, uh, entity that they kind of feed their dreams and hopes into and there's lots of different ideas percolating under the surface of this, but it doesn't play like a cop procedural film. It doesn't play like a teens running from the boogeyman movie. And in fact, the first 20 minutes of this movie, if, if you weren't sure what you were watching, feel like a completely different film altogether. And in fact, as the movie goes, it starts to explore some really strange ideas about uh, how we, how we perceive our reality. What does our reality mean? And how, do the thoughts and ideas of others affect us? And with the, the movie, I wouldn't say, is ever boring. It does take a while to get where it's going. But what's happening in the foreground of the film a lot of times, when you have some of these uh, creepy set pieces of, of things uh, chasing people down hallways or a really creepy scene at a camp, while those things are happening, there are these ideas that are percolating under the surface and come together in the final third, does it completely work? I'm not sure that the movie completely works the way it wants to work, but it was so ambitious that I haven't stopped thinking about it. And the sense and the ambiance of the movie, to me, have come back to me many times, more than a lot of the other horror movies I saw. I thought it was scary in places. I thought it was thrilling in places. And I thought it was thoughtful uh, in some of the things it was attempting. So for me, number nine is The Empty Man. Yeah, that was a that was an interesting film because uh, it's yeah it's two hours plus two hours twelve somewhere in that range. It was a long one. Um, I loved the first twenty minutes. I thought I was getting a supernatural cliffhanger up in a high a high mountain range and some activity that goes with them, and it kind of lays out the mythos of what the story's about, and then it all of a sudden flips. This could be like a three part. Although the middle part is longer than the other two. And the middle part becomes investigative. What's going on? Why is it happening? I agree that the main actor, uh, James Badge, did a, or James Badge Doyle, did a really good job. I thought he was a, a fantastic actor in this. I, I thought it, it lagged on a bit at times. I thought they could have cleaned up the script a little bit and cut a bit off here and there. Uh, the last 20 minutes, you're kind of like, ah, okay, sure. All right, we'll go with it. Because it does get a bit on the fantastic side. But it, I will give them credit for trying things. I will give them credit for this isn't your cookie cutter film. Uh, this isn't one that uh, is one that I've seen a lot of this type before. Uh, I didn't ultimately put it on my top 20 or 25 movies for the year. But I'll agree with Nathan by saying that it did stick with me. So from that point of view, 
it is worthy of being on the list. And how about you, Greg? Did you see this one? Man, you guys are just crushing me. Nope, I, I did not <laughs> see this one either. Um, but boy, you're you're uh, you're both kind of selling a solid film, so it's on my list to check it out. Yeah, if you like if you like campfires, you'll like this. Uh, it 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 is long, but I wouldn't say it's a one of these really slow burn emotional horror films. This is a detective story. Uh, it could almost be a Clive Barker story, honestly. It, you know, it the texture of it feels like a novel sometimes more than it does a film. You've got you've got elements of Candyman in this, and yeah. I also noticed I went to the um, IMDb. There's like there's lots of information about this, so they obviously put a lot of thought into this because this would this is not the kind of film where you just improvise a scene. This is one that took a detailed script, so some thought went into the creation and the production of this film. Yeah, it's one you watch, and then uh, if you feel that you can handle another two, two and a half hours, you can watch it again. Uh, but anyway, Greg, how about your number eight film? Well, number eight. Um, well, when it, 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 for the past, oh, shoot, let's just do the math. For the past 21 years, we as a country have been barraged with found footage films. So... Obviously, we went into the pandemic and everybody was underneath quarantine. And some people in England decided to capitalize on this with their Zoom calls. And it's called Host. It's where six friends have a seance and things don't go the right way. And I just felt it. A lot of complaints that I had from friends that kind of liked it but didn't like it. They said they were picking off of other found footage films. And I said, yeah, but they did it in such a way that it was not ripping them off, but kind of giving it an homage. It was all these different uh, experiences that we've all seen if if you're up on your found footage films. And they put them all together in a very brilliant fashion. And, And I was in disbelief i didn't think i was going to like it when i first saw it and after i watched it it was a a very powerful film and it gave me the heebie-jeebies in all the right spots it made me jump where i needed to jump it freaked me out where i needed to be freaked out and that's why it's on the list at number eight i'll jump on this one i watched this because everybody had talked about it and not that that makes a difference to me i'm you know me i'm gonna watch anything anyways so i I watched this film and i I was not as high on this film i I thought it was creatively done in terms of in a pandemic time you got to do what you got to do to get a film done and the limitations of that there's only so much you can do i i i didn't buy into the characters uh i found some of the scenes I liked, there, there's a couple like, oh, wow, that's cool. I, there were a couple of those kind of scenes, but, but ultimately I found myself wanting a bit more with this film. Or, or maybe it's just the medium that it is. I didn't, I, it just didn't grab me. I watched it and I, I did enjoy it. It didn't quite make my, uh, my top 20. But the thing I will say, and I, I concur, Greg, the minute that we after a week or two being in the pandemic and suddenly realizing that a lot of us were now having to utilize 
different forms of interaction and particularly the Zoom meeting. And it just suddenly dawned on me that, yes, who's going to be the first person out of the gate with a horror film? And there there, there were a couple, actually. Uh, in fact, uh, we're going to be talking later this year with, uh, with a guy who, who directed another found footage movie uh, taking place. Uh, I say found footage, another Zoom sort of meeting movie that takes place within the context of the pandemic. Uh, but this one host takes that kind of tired supernatural element and builds the technology into into a way that I felt was successful. And I did enjoy actually host more than I enjoyed, say, Unfriended or some of those other mm-hmm. movies we've gotten over the years. And uh, one of the things I liked was how they played with making the 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 ghostly interference a part of the technology you know that they didn't just oh this isn't a zoom meeting because it has to be but they played up that element of the quarantine and Mm -hmm. the isolation and and as these people are dealing with how with this spectral entity that they cannot see that seems to be messing with them you you wonder how many zoom meetings took place between family members with people having real panic attacks or real uh, issues and and dealing with that isolation, I think it gets that point across pretty well. And there's some gnarly things that they do with the, you know, I think we've all probably done enough of these meetings at this point that the background that kind of goes in and out on you, uh, or <laughs> freezing when the when the when the feed freezes up, or the or these, uh, uh, you know, my daughter loves to give me random phone calls, and then when I answer it, she's got the little Snapchat faces with little bunny ears. There's a very <laughs> funny scene where this person's trying to document the terror. And they've got those little sparkly anime eyes, you know, that are popping up. So I think they had a lot of fun with this. And I think they made probably the best movie they could have made uh, with that particular concept. Yeah, there were some scenes of, I wouldn't say gore, but there were some scenes of blood that I wasn't expecting in this film. Mm -hmm. Which I I quite liked. There was a scene involving fire I wish they could have gone even further with to make it even gorier. Yeah. So, so Bill, your number uh, your number eight film. My number eight film was one that I watched on for an episode of Land of the Creeps about sea terrors, and so mine is Sea Fever, the two thousand and actually it's technically twenty nineteen because it probably played the festival circuit, but it's directed by Nisa Hardiman and stars Hermian Corfield, Dag Malberg, and Jack Hickey. It's an Irish film. It's a sea terror film. So if you like ones that are isolated or you like ones that are out in the sea and involve the water, you're going to really like this one. So what happens is an Irish sea boat goes out and it usually goes out and sees whales when it's out fishing. And it goes to an exclusion zone, they call it. And they find some anomalies of things in the ocean. Okay. So the cinematography is really good in this And there's lots of underwater ocean shots. And they find an abandoned ship. And they go onto the ship. And they find that the crew there, let's just say, has died in manner that you don't normally expect someone to have died from. And so they come back and report this to the people on their ship. And there's something on their ship that causes someone to get an infection. And it becomes rampant on the ship, and things kind of get discombobulated from there. I like a small, not small screen, small area terror type film, 
ones that are within a small location, like a saw, that kind of thing, where you it's in a small spot and you know that's where it is and you can't escape it because it's all confined within one spot. This is that kind of film. I, I like the fact that it's a lower budgeted, so they had to work with the atmosphere. They had to create the atmosphere and you feel like you're out on this ship. Uh, there's some good tension. There's some moral dilemmas within. Uh, there's a, a scene involving eyes bleeding. I'm just going to leave it that. It's it, there's uh, some um, connections to the thing. If you kind of like that in the creature scientific kind of way, I I did not expect anything out of this film. I went in okay, yes, yeah, just another whatever. I really enjo enjoyed this one. I don't know what you guys thought about that. I like this too, Sea Fever. It is probably just outside the top 20 for me. There were some elements of it that uh, where the movie goes, it does create that sort of isolated one set sort of movie. And the, I do like that a lot. The, the way it's handled is great. The acting is great. And the, the terror, again, kind of stems from uh, partially a sort of infection storyline and then and an others outsider kind of storyline and then that element too of what will we do in order to be able to survive and all of that stuff is handled well one of the issues i have this movie does sort of straddle that line of science fiction horror again this is almost like a episode of the x-files that Mulder and scully just happened to not show up for <laughs> and uh and i like that element but the movie actually ends up in its second half delving into something else that I think is so fascinating that because the movie doesn't go further, it held it just a little bit back for me. But the fact that it does attempt it is, is really cool, which is that it, it, it takes the concept of what may be happening biologically in the ocean. And, it, and in human beings, we it, it, biologically in our world, the beach house covers some of this. We are so uh, wrapped up in ourselves that we always assume that when danger comes, it is personally targeting us and this idea kind of opens up in the second half of this movie so that you're not perceiving what's happening as necessarily good or evil but part of a biological web of connections and and not where it was trying to make a real ecological point but just it's kind of fascinating in science fiction way and the story that's taking place beneath that boat is more compelling to me than sort of what ends up happening on the boat because i've seen that story before but i think it's a really good movie that i think everyone uh, fans of horror and science fiction should absolutely see Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go as high as you guys are on on Sea Fever, um, and I, I kind of really can't explain why. I enjoyed, for the most part, the film, but this actually had something in it that doesn't happen too often, where I cannot stand a character so much that I actually start yelling at the television, "What are you doing?" <laughs> And and the character was uh, I can't even say her name I feel so bad Siobhan 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 so she's the lead character and she plays this uh, oceanographer if you will and I'm not gonna spoil the movie but she does something to the ship and that's all I'll need to say but when that happens to this ship I was like. There's no way if I was on that ship, she would stay on it at that point. I would have thrown her off and just, you know, you know, just take my risk with with the with the uh, with the, the the alien being with the creature, you know, 
I, I would have taken any gamble at that point because at that point, anything that she said, I could not, I, I, it, I don't want to say it took me out of the movie, but I just was like, she kind of redeemed herself after that. But man, that one moment just blew me. And I'm just like, yeah, oh my gosh. And, um, but yeah, definitely the, 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 the thing tribute, if you will call it that, that was really cool. Um, recognizing some of the actors like Doug Ray Scott and, and, uh, Connie Nielsen was kind of cool seeing them, uh, in the movie. So, but yeah, I, I'd be in probably close to right around 30, number 30. Okay. And my number eight is a movie that was probably kind of perfectly poised for 2020 without clearly being made necessarily with 2020 in mind. And it's a, it's a horror thriller that is probably a little bit more on the thriller side of things. It is a movie that I feel like is built in the vein of movies like uh, past couple years. We have movies like Creep and Creep 2 and films like that. This one is in a similar vein. And one of the questions I think that comes up when we find ourselves in a time, we keep talking about anxiety. We keep talking about isolation and being kind of closed in. A lot of these movies do take place in small settings. When that happens, I think the question always sort of becomes, what do we do and what do we get from it? What are the fallouts from being isolated, from being anxious, from being uncertain about where our future goes? Uh, One of my favorite movies as a kid was A NeverEnding Story, and I always remember that there's a creature in that movie that has the line that says, uh, people without dreams are easy to rule. And I would say that people whose dreams have been stymied and who who resort to sort of a fear and anger, they end up being kind of easy to rule too. When, when they, when they don't know where to turn, if a certain, a force comes in with a plan, those people can, can, can find themselves doing things or agreeing to things they wouldn't maybe normally do. And I think that we've seen a lot of that uh, even in recent years. And this movie is called Rent-A-Pal. It's directed by John Stevenson, and it is one of the creepiest movies I saw this year. It's a movie that has not left my mind since watching it. And it takes, uh, in fact, it's so creepy that it changes forever how I'll see Wesley Crusher from Star Trek, The Next Generation, because uh, Will Wheaton is in this movie, uh, and he's, he's playing a VHS tape, in a sense. <laughs> this takes place in the 90s. There's this guy uh, he's, he's a bachelor he lives at home his name is david he's caring for his mother who's uh you know she needs kind of constant care and he's sort of trapped in his own home not because of covid or anything like that he's also trapped within his own life and he is looking for someone to connect with he's trying to go through a video dating service but instead he ends up coming through this vhs tape and it it's not a it's not a 15 minute tape with an evil uh, well on it and a, and a little girl climbing out of it but instead it's called rent-a-pal and the host of rent-a-pal is played by will wheaton and will wheaton is this guy named and andy he's very charismatic he's really kind of charming he seems warm and inviting and he's gonna he's gonna give him the company and the companionship and the friendship that he wants you know he's gonna give him something to latch on to but guess what as it goes along david realizes that you know this vhs tape that andy's friendship has a price and it's a price that Andy is very willing to try and cash in on and what that does to David and how that changes David, I think makes this a compelling and 
timely movie that that chilled me. And and part of the thing that's chilling about it, there's two great performances. There's there's a lot of good performances in this movie, but Brian Landis Falcons is David. He is exceptional. He's one of the best. I think he's giving one of the best performances in any movie this year. And Will Wheaton is really good, too, as Andy, because you're watching that face. You're watching what's being said on that videotape, and you're just not quite sure what he's got going on. But you know something's going on. So I really can't recommend this one enough. I think rent pal is definitely uh, – it, it's it's it can be a difficult and disconcerting watch at times because of how intimate it gets, but I think it's great. I, I love this film. I think uh, Rent the Pal is one of those ones that people might not know about. Like, it's not one of these ones that had a big advertising campaign or anything behind it. But as you say, Will Wheaton. No, you think of either Will Wheaton from Star Trek or you think of Will Wheaton from uh, Big Bang. And it is nothing like either of those two characters. Uh, he plays uh, funny, creepy, odd 1990. Yeah, this is set in 1990, unless you didn't notice this before. I found the acting strong. I thought I liked the way it was paced. Like it's like about a 90 minute movie. Nothing lags. You keep on going. The atmosphere is good. And you kind of empathize for this poor, almost loser who's just simply looking for some attention while caring for his mother who needs a lot more attention than, uh, uh, than he wants to give. And, you know, there's some very strange, and that's what I liked about it. It's got some awkward socialness. Socialness is that a word? Uh, so, social, social awkwardness. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that, that a lot of people deal with. I mean, myself included. Everybody's got that so that awkwardness. It's got a very, it's got a funny scene where something happens that happens to many men at certain points in their life. Let's just say that, and it, it, it's it's what sets off Will Wheaton, and it kind of gets the ball rolling. Yeah, um, and I love the bluntness of the ending. Like it's it, it literally ends really really well. Yeah, I I think you need to see this if you haven't seen this film. So you're telling me that this isn't like the Stand by Me Will Wheaton because I am deeply no. I am deeply embarrassed, Nathan, because <laughs> I haven't seen this one either. <laughs> but but it's it it. I, you know, every time I'm on the Hulu, it pops up and I'm like, not today, not today, Will Wheaton, not today, maybe tomorrow. And of course, I just always, something else kept taking the precedent, something else, or I would just get it to get ready to start. And then one of the kids comes in and says, I want to watch this. And, oh, so it's on my list. I well, apologize, you, Nathan. You fall on that same no, no, no apologies. You fall on the same uh, basket as all of us. I think you don't need a friend. You need more time. <laughs> you need I mean, time in a quiet space. <laughs> the, other, the, the other thing that appealed to me, just as a, the host of the show, is this was 1990. I was in grade nine in 1990, so I kind of liked being in that headspace of being in your basement watching movies, having to you know be what you would be in that time frame. I, I like feeling that. And for those of us that are in our mid to late forties, you kind of get a little bit of that reminiscent feel by watching this film. Well, and I think what's interesting about this is rent has clearly been made prior to the pandemic. And it seems like one of the reasons it takes place is at 1990 is it allows you to have a little bit of that, the beginning burgeoning elements of 
of the connectivity that later comes with the internet and things like that, but it's through this VHS tape. So it's even kind of strange, right? But it creates the isolation and the character, you know, he doesn't have as many outlets and channels for interaction. And that makes sense. And yet then in 2020, we find ourselves in a situation that isn't, you know, rent a pal with a few details change could exist in 2020, you know? And it's funny because they probably didn't feel that going into the making of the film. But uh, yeah, I definitely think, and sadly, it's it's relevant in other ways too. Uh, but yeah. I think it's a great it's a it's a great horror film. And, and not to mention watching it, did you not feel like you're watching Chuck Woolery in the dating game? It was hilarious. I loved watching those vid- dating videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're playing off of that, and you kind of forget all about that sort. So eventually, I hopefully will also get a horror version of the Gong Show because that's what I want to see. Like something like that. But um, anyway, so Greg, how about your number seven movie? Oh, number seven. Um, unfortunately, this never really happened for me, which I, in some ways it's good, but some ways it's bad. I never really lived alone, if you will. When I moved out of my parents' home, I moved in with you know my now wife. So there was very little of having to have my own one bedroom. And that's the, then that's the movie I went with was 1BR. And I had friends that lived in, you know, you know, I think we've all been there. Maybe you had no, an apartment or a friend or even a family member. And they are in an apartment and there's this like inner apartment community. And that's where this thing really spins out of control in this film. And it deals with cults. It deals with body horror. It deals with, dare I even use the word torture porn in some ways. It gets to some points of uncomfortability, but it's horror. It, it gets right underneath the skin. It freaked me out, and um, it just reminded me of some other movies that uh, come in the discussions. Um, like recently, um, the the, um, the invitation, you know, was just mentioned on uh, on LOTC, and that just took me right back to one br, and I'm just like, yep, just it's just creepy it's just creepy for me so that's that's where i had to put it was at number seven yeah this is a freaky movie and it is uh for me it's uh again just sort of outside the top 20 so many uh, to me proves there's there's so many good strong movies actually in in 2020 but this one it ramps up and it goes some places you aren't necessarily expecting it has that tone you say the invitation there's elements of almost rosemary's baby and yet it finds its own footing like it is um it's intense mm-hmm. yeah, it, it really questions who your friends are and it, it as greg said it does kind of go a little bit of the torture pornish but more about manipulation of people it's almost got that jim jones kind of vibe for a little while there because somebody's a leader of something but then they're not the leader of something and it's a whole movement of something and yeah it, it does it is unsettling it, it is uncomfortable it's not a difficult watch but you can't keep your eyes off it and you really do feel some empathy towards the lead character at many points during the film yeah yeah it's a it's a good one uh, Bill, what do you have at number seven? Number seven. So many of you that have listened to me for the last couple of years know that one of my least favorite uh, genres of 
uh, horror is Supernatural. But every once in a while, a really good Supernatural one comes around. Because the reason I don't like Supernatural is because there's so much crap. that To get to a good one, you're like, ah, here's a good one. And this is my Supernatural film that made my list. And that's 2020's Impetigore. Now, Impetigore is, I believe it's Indonesian, an Indonesian film. So the director is Jocko Anwar, who also did the film a couple years ago that some of you may have seen, Satan Slaves. And it stars Tara Basro, Ario Bayou, and Marissa Anita, among others. And what happens is it's these two ladies that work as toll booth operators. And they're the people that take the money from the toll booth. And they find out that one of them owns property in a small town further away. And because they're kind of making minimum to above minimum wage, they always have dreams of doing something else. So the one decides and brings her best friend along to go back to the town to find this property and find out the story behind it. Because it turns out her parents did own the place, but why is it sitting there? Why did nothing ever happen to it? Why did they leave X amount of years ago? And you kind of get into some mythology. Uh, you find out a little bit about the backstory of the parents and how the house kind of fell into their hands and what rose to a supernatural entity that we find out a bit more about. I don't, I kind of tiptoeing around some stuff because I don't want to delve too deep. Because if you delve too deep and you unlayer it, you give it away. I really want you to go and watch this film. The first 10 minutes, I'll put hand on Bible, is one of the five or 10 best opening scenes you'll see in a film. It had me hooked. Now, the rest of the film, I don't think quite lives up to that first 10 minutes, but there are townspeople back at the place where they go to that really are none too fond to see her. And so she makes up a ruse of she's a university student trying to find out more information about the property and about the religious beliefs of the people in the town. It is the best supernatural film I saw all year. And I think it is got the atmosphere. It's got pretty good acting and when you consider the, you know, the budgetary restraints of somebody in Indonesia, I think they did pretty darn good with this. I don't know what you guys thought about this film. Well, Bill, you got me. It's on my list. <laughs> it seems to be the running running theme for tonight. Um, and I was, I you know, I was going through the list. What do I got to watch? What do I have to make sure? And it was there, and I kept just scrolling right past it. Ooh, I got to watch this one. Ooh, I got to get to this one. And I'm like, I'll get back to you. I promise. And then it's like, you know, oh, Satan slaves. I got to, you know, and then it would get bumped up, and then something else would pop up. And uh, I, feel so, I feel so shackled. But, yep, so I don't have much input in, uh, on Impetigore. Well, uh, I, I can speak to the fact that neither Bill or I, we discussed we discussed how we made our list, and we would discuss, like, as we'd watch a movie, we would throw a thought out here or there, but we, we have not discussed, like, where movies fell on our list. Uh, and so that 
shows here because my number seven is also in Pedagore. <laughs> we did not synergize this because See, there's, there's no collusion. No collusion no, at all. No collusion. That's right. Satan Slaves was such a surprise to me when I saw it a few years ago on Shudder. It was so creepy. It reinvigorated that ghost, the sort of vengeful ghost or the creepy uh, possession angles that I, that for me personally, particularly within some of the more like um, uh, like Asian horror films, as when you get into some of those, I feel like the, the the various whether it be Chinese films or Japanese films or even the Korean films and in some other Indonesian films that this supernatural sort of uh, force the the spirits and wraiths they kind of have been done to death a little bit. So Satan slaves, I think did it in such a way that was reinvigorated it, made it creepy again. And then to see Impedagor come along and get the feeling of he's the same director. Is he just going to, is he going to go down the same road or is he going to find a different wrinkle? And he really does here. What Bill just said about the first 10 minutes, those first 10 minutes are, are intense and creepy and, and very suspenseful in a way that does has nothing to do with the supernatural angle. And the way the supernatural angle is handled, it's balanced against a mystery and against really strong characters, and you're drawn into the story. This is not a movie that depends upon its scares, but the scares are in this movie. I, one of the reasons Pedagore is on my list, it's I love horror, but I'm very... It's very uh, infrequent that a horror movie actually sort of freaks me out, if you will, or that I find a horror movie scary in any sort of uh, indelible way. And I thought Impedagore was. I thought it was a solid movie from beginning to end. Yeah, it, and what, I mean, if you like movies about a little bit of religion or a little bit of mysticism or a little bit of cultural identity, that sort of thing, it's in here. And the other part of it is people that like their gore. There's a little bit of that in here. Uh, there's some character development. It's a mystery. There's a bit of cat and mouse involved. It's got a lot in there, but if they do it, I think, fairly effectively. And I would say, too, this is not this is not a torture film, you know? Uh, no, 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 no. By, by no means. There is that element in particular scenes, though. Yeah. Uh, and the direct, and, and Jocko Amor, who directed the film, again, I think that he's following up Satan Slaves with a very strong second movie that's different enough from his first. And the other thing I want to mention before we move on is the, the cinematography in this film is beautiful. The direction is in a very kind of classically styled way. This doesn't look like a cheap horror film. It doesn't feel like a cheap horror film. It's not. And it is a, it's dramatic first and foremost, but then when it goes in for the scares, it really goes in for them, I think. Yeah, I agree. Okay, uh, Greg, how about your number six? <laughs> well, number six was a recent watch, and I didn't think it was actually going to make the list, but it, it kind of was a pleasant surprise. Now, mind you, the first few moments of this movie i almost was like there's just no way uh, why, why did i watch this there's no way that this is going to be even worth worth watching i don't know what people were talking about it's not I, i'm in the wrong age group this is not for me but it was a little movie called becky and it stars lulu wilson which just knocked it out of the park for me but it wasn't just her that really was compelling it's the fact that two comedians, Joel McHale 
and Kevin James, two actors that I never think would be in a, a film of this of this demeanor of this caliber, if you will, of what happens in this movie. It it's I don't like the word to use fun for the violence that transpires, but it's actually kind of fun. And maybe that's where this comedy, uh, where these two comedians came into play, but they are deadpan serious at first, you know, and I'm, I'm not picking on Kevin James, but at first you see him and, and my first impression, cause it doesn't take long. I kind of don't believe it. I'm like, there's no way what, you know, how did they, was it a dump truck of money? You know, is, is, is this just going to be King of Queens? Um, <laughs> And and it's not. I mean, he is just darn right brutal in this movie, um, and he plays an escaped convict, um, and this uh, and Becky and her dad are going through some hard times because Becky lost her mom, and they're going to go to the lake house and be with her dad's new love interest and her son, and it doesn't take very long for the. Uh, for the horror to begin. So I, I just, this caught me perfectly. And that's why Becky is number six. Yeah. And you know, the Lulu Wilson, who's the star here in Becky, and I've seen her in a couple of different movies. Uh, and in, in, in fact, a couple, um, she was in one of the Annabelle films. She's been in, uh, I think she was in, in Ready Player One uh, and in uh, the, I think, the second Ouija board movie. And here she's just at a different level, and in Haunting of Hill House as well. She's at a different level in this, playing that character where, you know, in a different movie she may, in a different movie she might actually be the antagonist or the, the villain in a sense. And I guess depending on who you are in this film, maybe she is. <laughs> but... <laughs> The way that this becomes that kind of cat and mouse game uh, in the same way as a panic room, you know, or a wait until dark where you've got this cat and mouse game. The fact that you've got Lulu Wilson facing off against Kevin James, who, again, is not in Paul Blart mode at all. You know, this is really uh, something different. He's stretching his wings a little bit. And I, I think what's interesting is he makes the guy menacing and he also shows the the alternating pathetic side of him at the same time you know uh that, that most bullies have and at, when that kind of comes out in certain scenes you know it, it does sort of uh, it makes it makes it all the more interesting so i think that the performances are actually what kind of like to me a lot of becky it didn't quite go there for me as a film but uh and, and some of the it does have some pretty good like uh I guess if you want to say kills, but it kind of goes that direction. There's some of that stuff that's pretty good, but I think it's that it's that sparring between them. I think the performances are actually what kind of elevate the movie a little bit. Yeah. I really liked this film. And one of the reasons I liked it was you really didn't know how it was going to turn out. That's what I liked about it. Kind of kept you hooked on it. I thought Lulu Wilson was very strong. And I said this before earlier, a couple of episodes back on land of the creeps. <clears throat> My main hang up was, it's tough seeing Kevin James in that role. You know, you're thinking of him in Everybody Loves Raymond, or you're thinking of him as Paul Blart Mall Cop, or you're thinking of him in King of Queens. So it, you got to get your head around that he's a Nazi, you know. One of the things I did not care for in the film is, did they ever really explain what the significance was of what they were looking for? I, I don't think they actually explained that. 
Um, what I did like about it is some of the characters, the actors, Robert Maillet, who plays the big guy Apex, is from uh, New Brunswick, Ontario, uh, New Brunswick, uh, the province in Canada. And he was actually a former professional wrestler that trained under Bret the Hitman Hart. So that always gave me, I like that. And Amanda Bruegel, who played the girl uh, who kind of joined in on the gang, she's yeah. from Pointe Claire, Quebec, which is the place I was born. So I really like that aspect. And it was shot in Burlington, Ontario, which is an hour and a half west of me. So it kind of had all the Canadian tied in. Um, Why is it, it was, number one film, Bill? I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't number one. Just from the Canadian quotient, this hits all the bells. But... Yeah, there's there's some nice there's a nice scene involving the removal of an eye. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a and, and there's a good scene involving a lawnmower, mm -hmm. which 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 I thought was one of the best lawnmower scenes since Insidious. I really like that. Um, best lot you mean uh, sinister? Oh, sorry, sinister. Yeah, sinister. Yeah, uh, with that one. Now, there was also, I, if you pay close attention, there was lots of homages. At least I, as a horror guy, saw homages. Like, I saw one uh, homage. Uh, there's a lake scene that I felt was an homage to I Spit on Your Grave. Uh, and there was a, 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 a scene at the end that I thought was an ode to Carrie. Yeah. I might have just been looking a little too far into this, but that's how my brain went. But enjoyable, Yes. Uh, a perfect film, no, but it did keep me. It, it was just outside my top twenty. I would have put it in my twenty to twenty-five. Yeah, yeah, def definitely uh, worth seeing. I would say for sure. Um, okay, so we're gonna move then to my number seven, uh, and my number seven is a film by a director who uh, hasn't had much content at all in the past two decades, largely because of his career sort of being uh, scuttled in a very bizarre fashion. This is Richard Stanley's The Color Out of Space, based off of the H.P. Lovecraft short story, uh, or based off the H.P. Lovecraft story. And the thing I want to say about this, in the 80s, I saw a movie called The Curse, and it was actually directed by David Keith. Uh, it had Claude Akins of Twilight Zone fan, of fame and a BJ and the Bear. And I was, he was just probably on the air when this movie came out. And Will Wheaton also actually was in it. <laughs> and it was an adaptation of this story. And it was bottom of the barrel. It spawned a whole series of unrelated movies, a cursed series. But this movie, it wasn't very well made. It was very shoddy. And yet it still freaked me out because of what it was about, about this asteroid uh, who kind of crash lands on this small family farm and it starts changing everything. It's changing the animals. It's changing the land itself. It's changing the, the fruits and the vegetables. And then it starts to change the people. And again, that helpless sense that everything is just being undone and that this family who loves each other, uh, not without their issues, are headed towards a calamity that they simply cannot prevent. It's what makes a story dark. It's what made that movie dark, as cheesy as it was, and it it bothered me. And now I'm seeing this movie in 2020, Colorado Space, that Richard Stanley directs, and it it captures all the power of the Lovecraft story, and it is unsettling. It is disturbing to watch, and yet it also managed to be kind of a fun horror movie. It, uh, it, it gives us the family striving against this thing that they seem to have no hopes of defeating, and each family member tackles it in a different way. And these performances, this has got Nicolas Cage doing the oversized Nicolas Cage 
thing that he always does. There's a point where he gives a big speech about alpacas that I felt like he probably wrote himself an hour before <laughs> filmed. And yet he, they capture this feeling of a loving family. Julie Richardson, uh, she's good in this movie. Tommy Chong even shows up as a squatter on their land, sort of a kind of a hippie living out in the woods, because of course that's who he's playing. And even he is interesting. It, the way this movie looks, it has a damp, lush, it's both beautiful and sort of uh, oppressive. And yet when the strange things start to affect this this area it isn't just we see like gross mutations we see beautiful sort of almost psycho uh, psychedelic colors and changing the way the flora and fauna actually look uh there's a scene here involving what i can only describe as an alpaca flambe that is just insane and when the mutations happen they're disturbing and they're kind of uh they're they're kind of awe-inspiring at the same time this is almost as if you had an 80s spielberg movie met an 80s Cronenberg movie. It isn't very deep, but it just was really enjoyable to me. It was constantly giving me interesting things to look at. It gave me sequences that were both poignant and disturbing and even darkly humorous all at the same time. And it again, you're watching a movie that feels like it's sliding towards uh, you know, a dark ending, and yet you still are engaged by it. It never loses its energy. I really recommend Color Out of Space. I think it's a great adaptation of the uh, Lovecraft work. I think it's actually a better work than the story. And uh, I, yeah, I really recommend it. And I think that the, the K, if you're looking in the in the uh, the world of Nicolas Cage performances, his is out there and it's good. But it's surrounded by a lot of other good performances, too. So, And I'm glad to see Richard Stanley kind of back with a movie that's as strong, honestly, as anything he's, he's directed. Yeah, I, I absolutely adore this film. I think this is one that needs to be watched. Just look at the poster. The poster is awesome for this film. Nathan and I have talked a lot about the strength and need for modern films to have good posters. This one personifies what a poster should be. I thought the acting was great. I thought Nicolas Cage, out of his mind, wackoness, but done in a nice way. Like, I watched earlier for um, this podcast, Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, he was awful in that. But he's great in color out of space. Uh, I thought the trippiness, it's a very sensory film, the absurdity of it. I thought the family dynamic. This is one of those ones that you could also argue straddles the line of sci-fi and horror, and but it blends it in a great way because there's there's been a lot of bad Lovecraftian type films, and we all know what those are. This is Lovecraft done properly. I can't recommend this film enough. Yeah, well, for me, I it, it's definitely a solid movie, and I'm on that side of the coin where I was leaning more towards the science fiction side of things. And it's not that it doesn't go to the horrific route, but I kind of I, I left it off my list because of it, uh, because of the heavy sci-fi that I was getting from it. And and sadly, if this would have been a perfect scenario for me, and I would have been able to watch this a second time this one definitely warranted a second viewing only because i felt like my first viewing probably was overshadowed by just being a father and being pulled away um because when i tried to watch it um i had to watch it in segments and i felt like that probably so it was my own undoing that ruined this movie otherwise it's visually captivating 
story driven to the to the bone and even i felt like nicholas cage could have been ramped up more and that would have taken away from the movie but i felt like they probably had him right where he needed to be and the the highlight for nick cage's performance is when he's watching his uh, he, he he was interviewed on the news and <laughs> and he keeps and he's like he's um uh, critiquing himself and and it's just how I feel I would probably be critiquing myself if I was on the news, which you know I've been on the news before and I'm like complaining about my hair and like why didn't they tell me that my shirt was ruffled? This is so stupid. I look like, you know, and, and, and in all honesty, when this podcast gets released, I'm going to listen to it and I'm probably going to be yelling at myself <laughs> on the radio, but that's okay. That's okay. But yes, it, it didn't quite make my top 10, but it's definitely a worth watching and a solid recommend. So Greg, this, this podcast warrants a call in from you critiquing yourself call in to the best sci-fi fantasy and let us know what you thought about the, uh, it's funny yeah but there's little details like that you're talking about the or there's a lot that richard stanley we kind of talk about some of these movies being slow i don't think this movie's slow at all but it does take, take some time up front to develop the relationship that this family has going and the thing about Stanley, he puts it in a situation he's not afraid to throw us in. This family is already recovering from tragedy. They're already trying to deal with something horrible, and things only get worse for them. But we care a lot about them because of what see that like that could have been you know I, I would think it would have been like to watch my own dad see himself on television it would have looked like that you know what you describe there's a lot with the daughter who's sort of a practicing wicked and how she relates to things as they start to go uh, awry and uh, julie richardson and what what occurs later in the film involving she and her her son i mean it, there's some stuff in this movie that's heartbreaking and it should be that way this shouldn't be a fish in the barrel horror movie and i, I don't think it is anyway bill what's your number six my number six is one that I chose from a genre that is overused and overplayed and been done to death, quite frankly. But this is the one movie from that genre that stood out to me, probably the only one in the top 50, and that was Hashtag Alive. And Hashtag Alive is a film about this gentleman who lives in an apartment in South Korea and something has gone on and infection has taken place right off the bat and the world has gone to heck and he lives in an apartment complex and he sees it all kind of happening in front of him. He's a guy in his early 20s. He's a, a YouTuber. He's a blogger. Uh, and he kind of has to get into survival mode, so to speak. And there develops, uh, he finds out that there is somebody else after all crap hits the fan who lives across the way from him. And they kind of develop this odd relationship. They're both about the same age, coincidentally enough. They're kind of flirting in a way, but they're really using each other to help survive. Along the way, it does get dark. He does go through a lot of the emotions that I know you put your brain at the door and you watch a film like this, but you kind of get in the head of this guy and you understand, you know what? That's probably how I would be thinking. And it does get kind of dark at certain points. In the meanwhile, he's fighting off zombies that may be coming to his door, but they don't overplay the zombie element, which is what I like. It's not these sloppy zombies that are wandering around, banging on his door, moaning, oh, I need braids. This is a 
smartly done one in terms of he deals with the zombies when he needs to, but it's more about his survival and his mindset and how he's going to get there. And when he finds somebody that gives him a spark of hope, what he's going to do for her to get himself through this situation. And let me just say, there's a certain scene where she goes down and they, and they cross paths to meet each other. And she has to get from her side to his side. And she might as well be a, a linebacker for, or a lead blocker for the Dallas Cowboys. Because she knows how to plow her way through oncoming people like nobody's business. I thought it was a bit, there's a bit of social commentary in this. My only problem with it was that, and, and that's on me, is my uh, Netflix version that I have here in Canada, it was dubbed instead of subtitled. I would have much rather had the subtitled version, but I couldn't really do anything about that. It shows the humanity. It shows a little bit of romance. It's well-written. That's my number six. I don't know what you guys thought of this film. I like this one a lot, and it is in my top 20. Probably fell that just a little bit of the top 15, but I loved and Yes, the zombie genre is sort of running on fumes more so than ever. Uh, last year, we had one cut of the dead that found something interesting to do and this one finds something interesting to do. And I and usually, you know, what works for me in the zombie movie is when they're able to imbue it with a little bit of humor and a little bit of heart. Like, it can't be about the zombies. We all know that. And so the fact that it has some fun is what sets the movie apart and makes it so enjoyable. That and the characters, you know. Yeah, it's it's it, you can't say it enough. The zombie g- genre has definitely had some high low highs and lows, and this is on the higher side of things. It brings some, as you guys have said, heart and character and fun and creativity, uh, problem solving. Um, there's some great moments of tension. Um, it, it didn't quite make it in the the top. 10 for myself but it's definitely one worth seeking out and and watching i was gonna say might i say at one point he tries to block off the sun and uh, block off uh, people from seeing into his apartment and he and he puts up random paper seemingly from his apartment and he tapes it up with you know scotch tape well, it's got this really cool Art Deco look where it's all like pink and orange and yellow and blue. And I'm like, I don't know if he's doing that on purpose or it just looked really cool. There are people who pay big money to have their apartment look like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how about number five, Greg? Number five. I can I can honestly say this was one that... I saw that was available in theaters. I saw that it was available on VOD and I kind of just zoned out and all at once it starts coming recommended to me. Hey, Greg, have you seen this movie? Hey, Greg, have you seen this? This thing is right up your alley. This thing you're going to love. And it even included you, Nathan. And this movie was called love and monsters. And what a fun movie. And yeah, it, I mean, it's it's definitely heavy on the sci-fi. But man, there's just so much good um, humor. And there's some good gore. And, and the story, you just can't be beat. And it was shared with my daughter, even though she only made it about 30 seconds into the movie. And then she was like, I'm, I'm done. And I was like, that's fine. That's fine. You know, she she was telling me today that even Harry Potter is a little too heavy for her still. So I said, it's all right. It's all right. But 
loving monsters. I, I, it's, it took, it, it, it de-aged me, you know, I'm in my, uh, uh, you know, almost to my mid forties, you know, I'm hovering right around 40, 42. And it took me to, to, it, 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 to my teens of when I would go outside and wander around in my, in, in, a, in our woods and the neighbor's woods and go for bike rides and go walk on the railroad tracks. And then your mind would just escape to having monsters and seeing them. And, and what was that in the shadows and your, your imagination would take over. And I just feel like that's where this, this is coming from. Um, and I, it kind of just, transported me to being at this kid's age and you know you have that you know i lived out in the country so i didn't have a lot of people around me especially if i had a, a girlfriend or a girl that i had a crush on i wouldn't see them until this next school year if i got to see them at all but you know would i have traversed the wildlands and monsters to go and seek them out if i had to for sure um but you know, I, I know that has nothing to do with the movie. I kind of went off on a personal tangent, but uh, I also really want to leave this up uh, and just recommend it. I went in not knowing anything about it except for the title, and it's very colorful. And, um, you know, you'll recognize Dylan O'Brien, who plays Joel, the, the lead character, Michael Rooker. I, he's a scene stealer in this because of this little girl that is that is hanging out with him. Her name is Minnow, and she just crushes her role. And you just, you know, if I was in that world, I'd have to just tell that little girl, "You're you're my inspiration. You're the one that's gonna get me through this." And give and give her a big hug, which she'd probably end up slugging you on the arm and saying, "Toughen up, boy." But it wouldn't have mattered. It's just everything that happens in this movie is just really cool. Um, and it's, and it's worth a watch. So love and monsters. Number five. I'm so happy that you have this on here and that you did, that you did, um, enjoy it. I was curious to hear what you thought about it. And, uh, I, I don't yep. think that what you were saying there really is attention at all, Greg, because I think that the movie, kind of causes you to think about those things and how you personally would handle some of these big fantastical situations. The young adult genre, uh, probably ever since around the time of Twilight and I and Hunger Games, has fallen into a routine where these movies are sort of being developed and produced. These stories are being put out there, and they just all sort of feel the same piece. They feel sort of cookie cutter. They uh, Even when they're not, they feel sort of... Uh, studio managed to hit all these basic notes and to a point where the whole genre has started to sort of blend together and you see one sitting out there and you think oh, i'll get to it when i get to it and this stands above that you know what really this feels like to me is uh that point in time for a very short period of time there in the 80s when disney was was still trying to figure out their identity before they slipped back into their 2d animation took off again and they were trying some darker live action movies this could be a this could have been a darker live action movie that Disney could have made. It's that's not to say it isn't fearsome in places, but some of those movies, like something wicked this way comes, those are fearsome movies. This movie is going to I will definitely be talking this one again when we get to our sci-fi fantasy. I ultimately feel it's a little bit more there. The one last thing I'll leave on on this note is uh earlier in this summer we did a Harryhausen episode. And this movie here, in the way it handles its monsters, is the closest I've felt 
just seen a Harryhausen movie in a very, very long time. Right on. Nice. I have not seen it yet because we haven't recorded our sci-fi alternate list yet. And this I put aside for that because I was told that's probably where it should go. And I only had so much time to watch. And the other reason I probably haven't seen it is because even in the IMDb synopsis, they don't list horror at all. Action, adventure, comedy. So I probably didn't pop up on the lists. But the fact that you guys have talked it up like this. I love Michael Rooker. So I'm going to watch it just for Michael Rooker. And the other thing is, is it seems to have a sensibility, kind of a Jumanji kind of sensibility to it. So I very much want to see it for that. So stay tuned. I'll give you my thoughts perhaps on a later episode. Yeah, it has almost, it's almost more like a zombie land. It definitely, I, I don't think it goes into full bore horror, but it is a little less, uh, uh, it can be watched with younger audiences. My six and nine year old did quite enjoy it. Um, but we've, you know, uh, we watched The Fog last night, so. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we kind of, uh, they're, they're not unlike that little girl that's in the movie, Greg. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. So you didn't get any weird uh, um, uh, nightmares about people coming out of the water and stuff like that? No, no. They, they, uh, they loved it, though. They thought it was great. I mean, That's awesome. But anyway, uh, so that is... Number five for you, Greg. Number five for you, Bill. Number five for me is one that I saw oh a week and a week and a half ago. And my wife Jennifer loved her to death. She is not a horror fan, but she always wants to do stuff with me. So I had her sit on the couch. We put on Netflix and we watched this because I didn't think it was going to be too extreme. It was more on the drama-ish side, uh, or so I thought. <laughs> this is 2020's The Platform. <laughs> and, and and the platform is a really interesting film, and I'll get to it in a second here. So the director is Galder Gatstelu Urita. I believe it's a Spanish film because it's uh, subtitled. And it's got a really interesting concept. The concept is this. People are put into this jail, either voluntarily or through acts of their own, and they're in a jail cell, but not your typical jail cell. It's a, a square cell with only two people in it. It's full concrete, but in the middle is a rectangular hole. And this jail has 200 and some odd levels to it. Well, the movie opens with this really dynamic, high-class restaurant preparing meals. And you think you're watching something like a Julia Child or something like that, the, uh, or Gordon Ramsay. But what ends up happening is on level number one is a full smorgasbord of food that's on this platform. You've got high-end cakes and you got turkey and chicken and roast beef and all the accoutrements. You got your wine, your beer, your high-end cutlery, but you only have one time a day to eat and it's for a set number of minutes. And then it goes down to the next level. So it starts at one, goes to two, goes to three. And you go down to all of a sudden, part of the fun of this film is you're not quite sure how many levels there are. At a certain point, one of the characters thinks there's 208. And then at a, another point, they realize it gets down to 230. So people are eating as much as they can within a certain amount of time before, the, before it drops. And the main character in the story comes into this. He actually volunteers to go in there because he wants, I think, to quit smoking. And he thought this would be a good way for him to quit smoking. So he's allowed one item and he brings a book. And all these other people are bringing knives and they're bringing uh, various other things. He brought a book. 
And as it turns out, every month you go and get your level switched. So you might be on level 14, which means you're on the pretty good high end of things. And the next month you could be on level 178. There might not be any food left at the bottom. And so it's this fight and uh, desire to stay alive. And how are you going to do this living within this situation? Now, it takes on this bigger connotation of society where the high, the rich at the top have all they can. And if everybody just takes what they need, all people within society will obviously be able to survive. But the rich keep getting fatter and the bottom of the barrel keep getting poorer and they don't survive. And that's the other element to this. There's survival elements. There's cannibal elements. There's dark, gritty, trippiness elements. Uh, it's one of those, again, that I really like, small space horror. It's not a huge set. It's in a small, confined space. But there is a dark, a sense, uh, dark sense of humor to this. There's some decent gore and practical effects to this. It's what will somebody do to survive and make it to the next month, to the next month, until they finally have done their time, depending on what level they're at. I really enjoyed this film, guys. I don't know what you guys thought about this. Yeah, this is a really good one, uh, Bill. And I actually ended up holding it for the sci-fi fantasy list. Uh, it, it deals so much with the allegorical. However, it is horrific. And I think it can easily belong here because of what happens in it. It's almost like, uh, you know, it's like vertical uh, Snowpiercer in a sense, uh, yep. in, in the way that some of it works. And of course, allegorically... It, it does work. That's a tricky thing about making a film that also has sort of the function in an allegorical way. A lot of times you get stuck with that idea and it's so cute or, or uh, vague that you hard, it's hard to get into the film as a film, as a story. And that doesn't happen here. This is horrific. It's very unsettling. And yet the concept is built into who these characters are and what they do. I did think it's funny. The guy's like, oh, I just, you know, I'm going to quit smoking and take a book. It's like, really? In this sort of world, you were willing, you know, <laughs> to, to be a part of this, this horrific, this life that is just, you know, constant fear and, again, uncertainty and anxiety. And I think that wrinkle that makes it so compelling is that idea of you never know where you're going to be next. So there is that little bit of karma there element of when I, you know, when I can eat well, will I, knowing that tomorrow I might not get anything? And can I expect the person, the person who's in my place after I leave to, 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 to do what I might do, you know? And so, but, and yet if everyone did that, this would be a perfectly fine place. It would be, it would be wonderful, right? If everybody, if everybody did only what they needed to do, that's the kind of trick is there's plenty if people, you know, you know, and that's where you get into uh, the, the the socialism or the communism, wherever you want to see it. I was going to say, is this is this a pro communist film? Well, is it, <laughs> it, 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 it? There's a lot to talk about there, and I think that the movie in the movie invests so much in the horror and science. It it, it builds its world so completely that the science fiction and the social elements are 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 able to 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 kind of. Uh, they're able to be effective because they they aren't this preaching a screed because of how much you're into the story. I think here is a case where the horror makes the sci-fi work better because you're concentrated on what's happening to these characters in this situation. I will say that if you love Panna Cotta, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of this, Gregory? 
you guys are just busting me apart. <laughs> apart. <laughs> I ha- I I this is actually the first time I've even heard of this and I cannot wait to see it cuz it sounds like like you guys said a vertical snow piercer and the way that you guys were describing it kind of reminded me of cube. So yeah. I'm uh, it, it, very much of that element, you're right. So I it, it's it's going to be high on that list of things that I have got to see. But it, it is one that you could probably sit with your wife and watch and she wouldn't turn away as much as she would other films. Okay. That's good to know. Give it a try. So hold her hand and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely gets dark, though. I will say that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it sure does. You don't want to, you can't watch this with the kids. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so my number five is uh, we're back to the Invisible Man. Uh, nice. I was, I'm a huge fan of the James Whale adaptation of the H.D. Wells novel, the Universal Horror movie. Uh, I think it's great. I think it's a little bit underrated. I love uh, what Claude Rains is doing in that movie. I love the special effects, which are very dated now. But what the things I love is that the Invisible Man is very much a man, you know, and uh, and a monster, and and that still comes through in the performance. And he's very front and center in that movie. And then we've had Invisible Man movies since then, The Hollow Man. We've had memoirs of the Invisible Man. We haven't had any that many direct remakes, but that kind of makes sense because. Uh, you you taking the concept of the Invisible Man and kind of running with it, you know, I think that works well and doing your own thing. I was going to say, would you, would you include Meatballs 3 in that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Bill. Calm down. And, uh, <laughs> and, but the thing about this, they've been trying this dark universe thing and it's it's gotten, it's become almost comical, you know, with the different attempts at... At, at bringing the monsters and, and trying to reinfuse them with life. And in fact, the closest that we really got wasn't a dark universe movie at all prior to this. It was uh, what Guillermo del Toro did with the shape of water, where he sort of uh, made a more sympathetic version of the Gill man in, in some ways. And yet here in the invisible man, I think they finally maybe struck at what uh, at, at the right possible route, which is to take these concepts, forget the characters and take the concepts and build them into the world that we are living in. And this Invisible Man works so well. It's not, it, and what's why this movie is so effective isn't the Invisible Man. Uh, it's more like his presence is there haunting the whole film. So unlike the 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 Reigns performance, it's Elizabeth Moss as the protagonist who is the victim, perceived victim of the Invisible Man. And they spend so much of this movie with that psychological aspect of, we know there's something going on. We know there is uh, forces beyond what she understands, but the movie does play it right down the middle where there's a possibility that her own paranoia and her fear and her time under the oppression of this guy who who was just uh, domineering and dangerous has left her scarred to the point that can we even trust her? And the movie feels really... uh, it feels like a movie that might have come out of the 90s, you know, has a little bit of sleeping with the enemy, has some Candyman in there, but it's so well done. I, I feel like uh, not just her performance, but performances all across the map make this a really tight thriller where you can relate a little bit to these people who find themselves in these situations that uh, that are unpredictable, that we that no one's going to believe you. Everyone here believes, I think, relatively 
in a way that seems believable. Not every twist of the story maybe feels that way, but this has grounded. And then when you get to the action scenes, the action scenes are fantastic. The the thrills are there. It is a horror film, I believe. When the Invisible Man sort of kicks into action, it's intense. And yet, it's such a different movie from that Invisible Man from the 30s. You aren't sitting there thinking about that movie. You're completely focused on this one. And I think that that's the right call here. The old movies were about the sympathy of the monsters. These movies are more about how we perceive the monsters and and what we perceive of, of the monsters in ourselves. And I think that's what works in The Invisible Man. Yeah, there's no there's no scene of him running through the park or showing up mm-hmm. at the police station or anything of that kind of. But it like it does get dark. Like a a woman who's getting beat physically and mentally is not what you think of when you think of the original. Like it took me about twenty minutes to go, huh? This is still because the story construct is way one hundred and eighty degrees from the original, but it doesn't take away from the enjoyment's the wrong type of word for a woman who's getting beaten, but. It, it added to the atmosphere. And this is a great movie to see in the dark with a good quality sound system. That's all I'll say. And I think it's safe to say, though, that while those things happen in the film, this is a film you can enjoy because of Moss's performance, which is about a woman who isn't going to be beaten anymore, who is going to push back against the, this, and is going to continue to push back from the first frame of the movie to the last frame of the movie in some ways that were surprising. And that's, to me, where the enjoyment comes the the, the desire to reclaim her life, which starts the minute that movie begins and is still happening as that movie ends. And I did find the ending very satisfying. I'll just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So we have my number four. And that was a little witch movie called The Wretched. I found nice. this. I, I, I just... This was one that had minor buzz about it, but once I saw it, it it scared the skin right off of me. This had moments in it that absolutely freaked me out, and it was I had a great story about this teenage boy who's struggling with this impending divorce between his mother and father. And, you know, and he, he, he has a little bit of a love interest. And then there's just this wretched witch that's this creature. I don't know how else to describe it. And, and it literally gets underneath your skin and just it's, it's, it has moments which happened in several of, of the movies of 2020 where there's something that's happening in the background that all of a sudden you see it and you're like, what the hell was that? And then, of course, the jump scare and you're like, damn it, it got me. So <laughs> that's that's just right where I had to put it was number four, with which is The Wretched. What'd you guys think? I love this movie. I saw it. It didn't make the list, but I saw it at the drive-in, which was probably just the right place to see it. And uh, so good. It had had tones of Fright Night in it, you know, had some tones of uh, just that kind of fun. I wouldn't say this is quite a gateway horror movie that you want to maybe show kids because it does get kind of violent. The story is dark. There are stakes here. But it also, in a sense, if you have a kid who's at the 12 or 13, like this movie could work in that way. I feel like the relationships 
of the kids and even the sort of romantic relationship that starts to develop in the film is done well and yet it's juxtaposed against a pretty fearsome monster like this is a creature feature movie and it's scary and it it has a twist that i actually did not see coming and i thought was built into the movie fairly well it's 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 a solid movie I, I didn't jump on this one quite as high as you guys. I, I thought it was interesting. And I know that uh, Jason Piles from uh, Considering the Cinema uh, was really, really high on it. So I checked it out. It, it had a bit of a, um, at a certain point, uh, a Burbs or Summer of 84 kind of yeah, sense yeah. to it of mm-hmm. trying to figure out who this neighbor lady is. And I will say it opened relatively strong uh, where they uh, you go to a, a woman trapped in the basement eating a young girl and you're like, huh, oh, this, this, this is going to be interesting. And I, I didn't think that they dipped enough into the mythology. I thought they could have gone a little bit more into explaining the mythology of the witches and her background. Um, but I will say there was some nice body horror involved, especially in the shed. There was some good body horror involved and, and the underlying romance was interesting. I thought it was kind of cutesy for this kind of film to have. Uh, I, I would watch it again, but it's not one I'm going to jump out to watch again. And so, Bill, what is your number four? My number four is one, and I'm going to give a good shout out to James McFeeders of the Evil Jelly Podcast. Great podcast. Guys, go listen to them. He, I was texting with him, and I talked to him after they did their best of. And I said, I'm not going to listen to your show because I don't want to be influenced by me. Then I'll get to it. And he said, Bill, have you seen such and such a film? I'm like, to be honest, I'd barely even heard of it. So I went and watched it. And that's 2020's The Call. And this is a South Korean film directed by Chung Hyung Lee, starring Park Shin Hee, Yong Sao Yun, and Sung Rung Kim. I hope I did that one justice. I'll give the IMDb synopsis for this one because it probably does it better than I. It says, two people live in different times. Seun Young lives in the present and Young Suk lives in the past. One phone call connects the two and their lives are changed irrevocably. Well, what ends up happening is one woman, Seun Young, leaves her phone on the train. So she's come back from the train and talks to her mom and she keeps getting unsettling phone calls from an unknown caller on the call in the house. And she doesn't know where these calls are coming from. Who is it? They're strangely familiar, but she really doesn't know. And, and as it turns out, she's getting calls from someone years in the past. And these, and so then we've got a bit of a time loop dynamic going in this. So there's got a touch of the sci-fi, but that's not the thrust of this. What ends up happening is this woman, her dad is dead and her mother is going through cancer. And if the person she's talking to over the phone can make certain things happen, the father could possibly survive and her future changed. So she gets to see her father as he would be had he survived. And perhaps the mother doesn't have to deal with her cancer issues. But the lady from the past asks her to do something because she's eventually caught committing certain crimes and she wants things changed to see if the person in the present 
can change what happens so that the stuff in the past doesn't happen. And you get into some dilemmas there. It gets really dark. It, the viewer has to really keep up because there's a lot of flipping back and forth. So you have to pay attention between the past and the present. But actions at one end have a direct impact on things that happen in the future. Past and future are linked between this phone call, things behind doors, things behind walls. And let's say emotions get involved and it gets bloody and gory towards the last part of this movie. A really interesting film. It goes into that South Korean uh, ghost mythology. It gets into a bit of sci-fi. It gets into horror, most definitely. It gets into moral dilemmas of, if I do this, this might happen, but am I happy with what happens if I do this? I really, it was one of those movies that I watched and then I text Nathan and go, I don't know about this film. And it stuck with me and it stuck with me and it stuck with me. So if you haven't seen The Call, I highly advise you go watch that. I don't know what you guys thought about this film. This is like your empty man, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I really like this one too. Ultimately, because of those little connections you talk about the the it's like it's like horror frequency in a sense, the movie frequency from the two thousands. Although it definitely that movie also dealt with the serial killer, but this this puts the serial killer character more front and center and it does sort of kind of head right down that like descent into hell in a sense although you're still playing with the time stuff. But because of all the playing with the time stuff, I was kind of connecting with the movie more on the sci-fi angle. So I'll be talking about this again next time. <laughs> but well, that's, I, what, that's what I figured, because yeah. this is, again, one of those hovering between. But I'll say this. There are several movies, even just this year, you know, one, one kind of thing we've seen done a couple of different times. You know, you've got the Groundhog Day of people reliving a certain time frame over and over again. And then that that frequency concept that really compelling idea of people talking across time to one another that was done in frequency it was done in a movie called haunter a canadian film called haunter that i really enjoyed um, and happy death day and happy death well yeah but right well yeah happy death day does it all right it does the talking across time in the second film and then it does the groundhog day in the first movie so <laughs> you know it kind of rips off everything but uh this does not feel like a ripoff this is taking that central conceit and doing something pretty original with it because I did I like the putting the stakes high on the serial killer wants to affect how the world turns out too and making their desires and and the things that they want to achieve and that coming into play with the with the uh, the heroine think that's where the strength of the movie lies it's very good did you see this Greg <laughs> oh, no bill no it's on my list now though again the this one half full is now greg has all these great movies to go watch <laughs> yes very true yes and i guess i will have to uh have two kinds of call-ins for this episode <laughs> one yelling at the phone about my my, my interactions and and all the follow-ups of the films that you guys have seen that are coming as high recommendations. And don't so, forget to call it, your past self and tell them to watch the movies before the, the episode. Hey, hey, Greg, just remember, you have The Call, The Platform, <laughs> The Empty Man, Rentapel, and Pedagore. You can do this. You can do this. 
All right, buddy, I believe in you. So, but yeah, I, I being a fan of of all those movies that you said, you know, frequency and 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 even a little bit of the uh, the butterfly effect. Um, yeah, yep. Totally, totally up my alley, and I can't wait to see it. Okay, so my number four movie is a movie that when I started watching it, I was expecting one thing, and the movie that sort of played out in front of me was very different, and I was I was pleased with that. I was actually very pleasantly surprised by that. I People I've talked to have come down on different sides of it. There's some people that were disappointed with where it went, and there's some people who really love it. This movie is 2020's The Wolf of Snow Hollow, directed by Jim Cummings, and it is uh it's being billed as a werewolf movie and i love werewolf movies but the problem is werewolf movies usually don't turn out so great for me (laughs) when i end up sitting down watching them i think there's a handful of really good ones obviously and not even that many in more recent years so hearing that this movie is a a werewolf movie it be a sort of mystery police procedural movie uh was really interesting to me jim cummings who's both the director and the star i uh had seen his earlier movies i thought that thought it was good so i was really intrigued to see this and it's also the movie that has the last role uh, for robert forster and uh, that i'm aware of i think there might be one or two other movies but robert forster passed shortly before uh this movie ended up being released this year and i really enjoyed this one it starts out with a really uh uh, menacing opening and and kill and you re- you recognize that there's going to be a little bit of graphic violence involved here uh the look of the movie is great but this movie the the town that it takes place in is a really interesting space all the characters are interesting cummings is a is a a cop whose dad is the sheriff and he is trying to step into that role uh and, and, and help him because you know he stad's getting up there in age he's got some health issues he's also dealing with a, with a super incompetent police force uh and he's dealing with a, a a divorce and issues with his estrangement from his daughter and he's uh, he's trying to uh, deal with alcoholism as well and his level of anxiety in this movie that the anxiety that encapsulates him as he comes across each new problem when these murders start happening and people are being brutally killed and there's a question of who's committing these crimes and these signs are pointing to it's an animal and maybe it's a man and maybe it's a man who turns into an animal. And the way that's handled in the context of the story makes it a horror comedy, but I was constantly in a place of tension because of the anxiety that the main character feels watching things just pile up and pile up upon him and watching him sort of break down at various places was more uh, suspenseful to me than the, than the werewolf stuff when it eventually happens. Although that stuff's compelling too. There's a, there's something happening in every little corner of this movie, but because of the kind of, like there's a very sort of uh, laconic pace to the movie. Not it's not slow, but it just takes its time. Like the town itself and the people in this town, and the mystery takes its time, and we're allowed to spend time with these people in almost a, a Coen Brothers kind of manner, almost in the way you would, uh, you know, in in the movie Fargo, where we're going to have time where we're going to sit and 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 have these characters have a discussion around the break table. This is almost like Twin Peaks meets picket fences you know it's about the best way i could think to describe it and yet i was into the thriller part of the story and it doesn't go quite like how you'd expect and then werewolf is pretty cool looking in the little bits that you see it and uh but i just really enjoyed it. it i think that this is a is a movie where the whole 
it's the sum of the parts that come together and make this movie just such a joy to watch and experience me personally. I know some people maybe didn't feel it went enough into the horror or maybe it wasn't uh, a relentless enough as a thriller, but I just enjoyed it. Spending time with these people, spending time in this story and seeing a fresh take on something. And I think it's one of the strongest movies. It's a, it's a movie I've watched a couple times and it allows you to inhabit that world and it allows you to feel with those characters. And it is scary when it needs to be, I think. Yeah, I, I love this film. I absolutely do. I think Forrester is great. I think it shows what can be done with a genre that's quite frankly played out a lot. But what I love about it is I love those movies where your protagonist is a flawed character. And he most definitely is a flawed character in this film. He's dealing with the booze. He's dealing with the pressure of work. He's dealing with his dad who's ill. He's got all these pressures of a family and things. And what does he do and how does it affect his ability to do his job? And I, I do like how it plays out. There are some things we're stepping around, which I'm happy we're stepping around because I don't want to give anything away. It's a kind of a, a police serial ratcheted up with quirky offbeat characters and a scare going on through town. And it's almost got a little element of, you know, a movie that everybody loves, Troll Hunter. It's got a little bit of Troll Hunter element to it. I and, yeah. and I'll just leave it at that. I, I think Robert Forster for a farewell performance does a really great job. And you know what? It's got a little bit of Fargo to it. Yep. in a sense, but I'm going to say go out and see this film. Even if you don't like werewolf films, you'll like it for the quirky characters and how they kind of put it together. You may like it more if you don't like werewolf films because you won't be walking <laughs> in with a bunch of expectations. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and Forrester, yeah, I, Forrester was, is very good in this. He, was in, he got a chance to be in the last season of Twin Peaks that uh, – David Lynch did, and he played a sheriff there, and he was so good there. He's almost just finishing out that role here with a very poignant, uh, like kind of closure to it. And and Cummings, what you were saying about it, he playing this main character. He is a flawed guy, but it doesn't feel like a gritty performance. He adds a lot of humor to it, and you feel for him, and 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 you understand when he has his little meltdowns, and you you get why he's so frustrated and why he's so can't get it together and you just it hurts all that much more sometimes to see it because you know there's a good cop in there you know there's a good dad in there somewhere and he's just trying to pull it all together absolutely have, have you, you seen, seen this one greg yes yes i have hey! a one. Hey! It, it, it didn't it didn't quite crack my top 10 and and that's just because it just came down to a numbers but yeah i mean you guys summed it all up fargo you know, Robert Forrester, yes, it was just great seeing him. Um, the the flawed protagonist, he was such a a, a good character um, that, yeah, the, the some of his awkward moments really, at, at first you're like, what's going on? But that you, your guys' comparison with Fargo um, is, is, is spot on. And, you know, the old ever popular uh, horror in the snow. So people can also tack that one onto this. So there's that um, scene when he goes to the morgue and the, when he's <laughs> there and the mortician is doing something and he just goes off. It just feels like such a pitch perfect <laughs> moment in that movie. I just about cheered when that happened. 
<laughs> but yeah, but it was also painful to watch it melting down a little bit. I was, it was making, it was giving me heart palpitations and had nothing to do with the monster. Yep. But um, yeah, so that's so number three for you, Greg. Number three for me was one that actually I, yeah, I, I had not watched the movie, but it had been on the radar. I, the title had crossed, but the poster just didn't really sell it for me. But who sold it for me was actually the father, Matt Rawlings of the Father and Son podcast. And that movie is called Relic. And I feel like the reason why he was drawn to this movie and why he enjoyed it or found uh you know, his, his recommendations were very similar to a a personal experience that I had with my own grandmother as she uh, battled dementia and um, Alzheimer's. And she lasted many, many years longer than what we had anticipated and nothing bad with that because it was just all good. But early on, there were like little things that freaked you out and me being a horror fan and having way too much of an overactive imagination this movie relic really captures a lot of the things that i was thinking when i wasn't there and i have a huge family so that's besides the point but what's interesting was that there were times where i was there to assist people with with caregiving and boy oh boy relic just really brought back a lot of those a lot of those feelings um if you guys haven't seen it which i imagine because i'm the only one that's been lacking things but there's just some really jarring things in that movie um and mostly is this black shadow which it's not giving anything away but this black shadow that you see in the background really right now the hairs just stand up on my arms because that's the stuff that freaks me out the most with horror movies so yeah if you know you know my weakness now um yeah having those shadow things in the back where you can't tell what it is it's it's always that fear of the unknown uh that gets me and relic capitalizes on that brilliantly so that's that's my number three all right, so Relic is one that I saw recently for Land of the Creeps when we talked about female horror directors. And I was glad to see a female director get all the props that she deserves, Natalie Erica James. It was well shot. It was well directed. It had a creepy atmosphere to it, a dark atmosphere. I like how it opened where there's water coming down stairs and steps in an old creaky house. And then you see this naked old woman with a with a towel and you're like, where's this going? And it's very much a movie where there's things going on behind the surface, literally behind walls and with neighbors and you get backstories with neighbors and things that have happened. There's a story building element to this. This is a bit of a slow burn. People that like action all the time they're not going to get that from this film. This film is built on the story itself and the creepy atmosphere and the character interaction. It's an odd film because uh, you don't know what happened, how things certain happen. And there's a lot of things going on behind. There's a bit of an element to the, of the movie Suspiria where there's a lot of stuff happening in corridors and behind with darkness and that kind of thing. I, I ultimately didn't put it in my top 20 because 
I didn't quite gravitate to the characters as much as I know other people really, really did like it. But I did think that it was shot well. And one thing you didn't mention is uh, this one was produced partly by Jake Gyllenhaal. So I don't know if Gyllenhaal is going to be getting into movie production or he just did this as a favor to uh, the other producer, Riva Marker. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would watch it again, but it's not what I'm jumping to watch again. Yeah, I, Greg, uh, similarly to you, I had had an experience with um, a couple, actually. We had two of our, uh, between my wife and I, two of our grandparents have uh, had had dementia and ultimately passed away from it. And, and we had a grandmother who was around for a much longer time than was expected. And because of that, there's a gradual process that also really sorts of ends up enveloping the family. And that is captured very much so in this movie. And it is so realistic in how it's done that uh this movie sits out it'll come up in a few minutes when we talk about honorable mentions it didn't quite hit the top 10 for me uh i i i think i appreciate it even more as a dramatic movie than as a horror film uh because there's a certain point when the supernatural elements almost don't even matter anymore you know here's a point where the allegory is so in sync with what happens to a person during this process of of dementia and what happens to the family that i you could almost be watching a documentary and then so when these supernatural pieces happen uh not that they take you out of the movie but they don't feel a little disparate i wasn't i wasn't as into the supernatural horror element i was so kind of focused on the pain of the characters which is very real and very effective but i will say towards the end when things start to amp up supernaturally there is a bit where the house itself seems to be constantly changing and adapting and and causing uh dis discomfort for both the 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 elderly woman who is dealing with with this uh curse and then for the the family members and i think that's one of the things that the, the key to the film is seeing that it's not just about a person dealing with something like dementia it's not just about caring for the elderly it's as much about the caregivers and what may happen to them and what they have to uh deal with and overcome to really be able to 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 help someone in that sort of situation is not an easy situation so when the house is physically changing around them and there are new dark shadows around every corner that really seems to capture sort of what your mental headspace feels like when mm -hmm. you're in the midst of this and and i imagine what it must be like for a person who is experiencing that uh, internally so i it's such a strong movie i think that the trick is it's not going to feel like your average horror movie this isn't a movie that you're just going to go in there chomp your popcorn and and have a few jump scares this you it, it internalizes something that's very real but also very specific mm -hmm. yeah and i will say that there is some really strong um practical effects towards the end and it is creepy and unsettling when that happens Okay, so you're number three, Bill. My number three. The last five or six films we've done are good horror films, but they're a little on the heavier, darker. I want to lighten things up a little bit here. So with my 2020 number three, I went with one that I knew very little about. Loved the poster. You go in blind. And this one's a heck of a lot of fun. This is Uncle Peckerhead. <laughs> just the title itself makes you smile uncle pecker so the on the poster there's this zombie like creature hovering over a van with you know the pentagram in the background and a whole heck of a lot of blood with these guys in their early 20s in the foreground and so the imdb synopsis is 
When a punk band scores their first tour, life on the road proves tough when they are joined by a man-eating demon as a roadie. All righty then. Okay. So it opens with a zombie eating a body approaching a van. Then we learn of this punk band. It's really about this punk band. And they're getting ready for their first tour. They've kind of just laid some tracks down. And it's like any rock band that anybody follows. And you hear the story of them hopping in a van, going through the Midwest USA, trying to go from bar to bar to try to gain an audience and gain a foothold. And, well, that's what this one is. And so this band is trying to find basically wheels to get them through their limited tour. So they're kind of calling around, trying to rent a van. They can't really afford what they need to. So they're putting posters and flyers all over town, just looking for somebody with an available cargo van that's willing to let them borrow it or drive them around to get them from spot to spot. Well, they knock on one van one morning and they put a a flyer underneath the windshield wiper. Sorry. And out comes this guy who's pissed off. He's like, what are you doing bugging me with all this stuff? Well, it turns out the guy is willing to drive them around. Turns out he likes the rock and roll lifestyle. He's unemployed. He sleeps in his van. And he's like, you can have my van, but I have to be the chauffeur. And the band's kind of like, uh, okay, well, they really got nothing to lose. They got to get to their spots. So they give the guy, I think, a limited per diem, and they go to where they need to go. Well, Uncle Peckerhead, his name is Uncle Peck, turns out he's got a certain penchant for blood. And he has an ability when he's trying to protect those that he loves or cares about to be overzealous in his protection. Let's just put it that way. And this shows itself the first time the band does their gig. They do a pretty good job and they get ripped off money-wise. And Uncle Punkerhead's, uh, Punkerhead, Peckerhead springs into action and it gets bloody. And it's a heck of a lot of fun. This is very lighthearted. It's got some really good music. Their music is, and this takes place in like the late 80s, early 90s. And you don't realize that at first until you realize when they're going in their van, they're sticking in a, in a cassette. And when they're selling their cassettes at the shows, they're for like five bucks a piece. So I'm like, I can't buy anything. I can barely buy a coffee for five bucks, let alone a whole cassette. So you know that it's back then. They got like an Econoline van they're driving around in. And the music is pretty good. It's kind of like your Green Day-ish, edgy, punky kind of music. Uh, it's got a, the characters are actually better than you'd expect for a limited budget film. Uh, they have a really good portrayal. One of the band members is homosexual and they treat it really, really well. It's quite humorous when let's just say he gets excited at one scene in the movie. (laughs) Um, and you know what, but it does turn dark towards the end. And there are some moral dilemmas to it, but those of you that are thinking I'm describing it in a very poor manner, there is blood. There is your gore effects. There is your practical effects. But it kind of happens, you know, the story chugs along and then something happens. And then the story chugs along and then something happens. And then towards the end, you're not too sure who is the bad guy in this scenario. So I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, The guys at Horror Chronicles, Ryan and Jared, they love this film. I think it's a great film. Listen to Horror Chronicles. Watch Uncle Peckerhead. You're going to have a blast. Just trust me. Despite that title, Bill's Bill's right. This is a movie, and I think the thing that might surprise people is how much of a story 
and characters are in this. This is not a the, the the title sounds weird and it sounds like it's kind of goofy and the movie is definitely a horror comedy but it's a horror comedy it's based in the situations this isn't absurdity for its own sake um or something like that this is a movie that tells an actual story and has a moral dilemma at the heart of it and plays with the dichotomy between this little group of characters and you you do come to sort of care about these characters in the context of the story, and you're almost surprised that you do enjoy this movie about these people who happen to have a roadie that's a horrible monster. <laughs> sometimes, he's a, sometimes he's a nice enough guy, and sometimes he's a horrible monster. It's very much along the lines if you've seen the movie Suck. It's, it's better kind of movie got than that, Suck, I think. It's, yeah. it's better movie than Suck, but it's kind of got that semblance to it. Well, I... I, I, I don't know what to add yes i totally enjoyed this movie it didn't crack, crack the old ten, top 10 but it was definitely a pleasant surprise with the title that it has i at first was not a hundred percent focused on the movie that quickly changed i had to restart the movie and get rid of all my distractions because i had a feeling and i was right once you buckle up for this ride, it's a fun one. And it's it's entertaining, endearing, and you know, Nathan, you're right. The story's there too. It has it has everything that, that anybody would really need. It's just you just gotta get past that title. <laughs> but that's okay. It's not the hey, how about I put this out there? It's not the only film from twenty twenty that has a uh, has a title that's kind of misleading. But that's okay. Yeah, I know where that's going. Um, but we'll get there. <laughs> oh, I was, was going to say this might not be one you're going to want to watch with your five year old. But if you have a twelve or thirteen year old, you could watch this. Be oh fun. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They definitely be into it. Yeah, it, it's fun. Um, a fun horror comedy. And then my number three, which is pretty far away from comedy and it's a the the next three are movies that really um you know actually probably the top five movies here could have been just about anywhere just because of how much i did enjoy them and how much i've come back to them uh and and you know with invisible man and S snow hollow and then these three this movie i i all the way up until just this afternoon I was talking with bill still going back and forth on whether i viewed it primarily as a science fiction film with horrific elements or a horror film that had that uses a sci-fi premise and ultimately with the some of the others that came down the other side of it with this one i ultimately came down that the sci-fi premise supports what's really a horror film underneath and this is brandon cronenberg's possessor this movie uh which deals with sort of corporate assassins that use a technology that allows you to sort of do a, a psychic or sort of mental implant to literally possess someone, a, a possession of body and mind, and then use that person to do sort of whatever you need to do. And in this case, uh, assassinate somebody else. And I always like that sort of plot where you have this concept, the sort of, uh, spies and assassins taking place in a way that's very covert due to some sort of uh, sci-fi element movies like dreamscape or inception come to mind and possessor has a little bit in common with those but the way in which it's done and the performance that andrea rice Perro gives here and 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 how cronenberg leans into the body horror this is a 
a nightmarish film with a lot of characters who really are, you know, in most cases, immoral. It's hard to find a character here that you can really connect to. It the, the people that are easiest to connect to are those who are having their bodies and their lives taken away from them, really. And uh, Bryce Bear's character is very interesting, but she's not someone you're necessarily going to have a lot of sympathy for. And I found this movie, though, very compelling with how it presents this nightmare. It's beautifully filmed. It really uh, takes you on a wild ride. Visually, it's impressively done. And initially, I felt a little cold watching it, you know, maybe the first trip through this. And then the second trip, I realized what Cronenberg's really getting at is the way that people justify their own means to an end when destroying other people and how often people will destroy others and see them as collateral damage. And then the damage they're doing to their own soul. I mean, it gets... Uh, this is a movie that when you rewatch it, I think you find new layers to it, not new twists to the story, but new emotions that are lurking under what seems like a very, uh, a very vicious and, um, and, and uh, intense veneer. It's so easy to get caught up in the visceral. There's a lot of gore. There's a lot of uh, very, uh, even like the twisted sexual elements to it. There's a lot of um, unpleasantness going on the surface of this movie, but I do think upon a second watch, there's more going on there than you initially see. I really can't recommend this one enough, but just know going in that this is a kind of intense film. This is this is a pretty a full bore horror movie in some senses, but there's a lot of science fiction elements going on. I just think they ultimately serve the horror more than anything else. Yeah, this is one I watched this afternoon. I re I watched it originally, I don't know, five, six months ago, so I wanted to rewatch it because I, this is one of those films that I have rated high but didn't make my list. When I rewatched it, you have to know going in, this is not going to be for everybody. And I love Cronenberg, the, the senior. And I really, really, really wanted to love this film because there's elements to it that I like. I love body horror. I don't mind a slow burn. The interaction with science and horror is a set up for success. It was just a little bit too out there for me. And that sounds strange because I like all kinds of stuff. But I ultimately couldn't make a strong connection to the film. I thought that Jennifer Jason Lee playing the part of the CEO of this company that assassins people, I thought she was really strong. Uh, I thought that Riseborough and Christopher Abbott did a really good job. There's some really good body horror and the visual effects. It gets really trippy at times. It's not a sexual film, but some of the sex scenes are you're like, you feel like you're in there with them because like it's just dark and intense and the ending is nice and bloody. It twists you around. So it sounds like I've set myself up for a film. I love, I just couldn't quite grasp all the time, the whole film. So maybe I need to watch it a third time. <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't, if that makes any sense, watch the film for yourself. Oh, well, let me just jump in real quick on that. And Bill, I, I know what you're saying because part of what you just described is one of the reasons I love it. You said it was all too out there for you. It's too out there for me too. It's so out there that I don't have my arms all the way around the movie. And as Bill knows, maybe to his own frustration at this point on the podcast, that I tend to love those movies that I can't completely parse. I like the out there movie that takes 20 viewings before you fully <laughs> grasp it. The 2001s, The Dark Cities, these movies that Bill's like, what is going on? 
And <laughs> this one's as wild as any of those. And so if you like that, if that's if you want a movie that's going to take you uh, to places that you're not complete, you know, when this movie's over, you're you're going to have some of it, but you're not going to have all of it. It's not wrapped up in any nice tight bow. It's messy in all ways. It's it's uh, it gets into the blood and the gore, and as messy as that is, the and it's not that the the plotting is messy. It's that it is, I it is purposely going into areas that it's going to leave for you, the viewer, to think about and 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 contemplate and if i can think of a movies that it does resemble the elder cronenberg's movies quite a bit but it also reminds me of movies like by people like shane carruth who did like upstream color and uh primer you know movies that you you're gonna take a couple watches with it's it's, it's a ratcheted up the void oh yeah there's, there's elements of that too and, and also in a fun way there's elements of total recall in here as well yeah. <laughs> So what did you think of this one, Greg? Oh, yep. You're right there. Of course, as, as Nathan mentioned, he was right on that fringe of sci-fi and horror. And you absolutely are correct that it's more horror than sci-fi. But of course, as I was compiling my list, I kind of chalked it off as more sci-fi than horror. And of course I kept flipping it back and forth. And I ultimately actually did flip a coin for this one. And it landed on the sci-fi side. But it is definition cerebral and psychological horror with that body. And I can totally relate to what Bill's saying, that he it, it has all those things, but yet there's just something not there. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's another one that just gets underneath your skin and, and it stays and it lingers and you you'll catch yourself doing something and then start thinking about it. And you're like, dang, that's messed up. So, <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, I de- definitely like it. And if you, if you can handle that, uh, that thinking horror, if you will call it that it, uh, possessor has it Cronenberg. It, I mean, if you like Cronenberg, you're going to, lo- you're going to love it. So, and actually, uh, Greg, the words you just used there made me think of another movie that has some similarities to it. Uh, you said under under your skin, and actually under the skin from a few oh, years yeah. back with Scarlett Johansson. If you guys have seen that movie, that felt like a similar kind of thing where there's a certain coldness to it, a certain alienness mm-hmm. to it, which is appropriate for that film, and a certain mm-hmm. bit of uh, vagueness in what's happening, and yet that seems to draw you in a little bit more. It's this world where I don't know the boundaries, I don't know exactly what's happening, and uh, it's not just the the world that's a mystery to me. It's the emotions of these people. Like, what is it that they really want? Why are they doing these horrible things? Why are they willing to put their their lives and their minds and their souls at this sort of like risk? And uh, the movie doesn't necessarily have answers for that. <laughs> the the one plus I do have for this, and I get this every so often, is it was shot in Toronto. So I'm like, going, I know that. I, I, that one. I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> the one plus. Um, no, but I, I definitely think this is one to check out. That's my number yeah. three. Number two for you, Greg. Number two. This was this one. Uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I, the, it. I I went on all personal feels. Whether these movies are great or or only somewhat good, that's it's immaterial. I guess it's all subjective. And this movie just took me back to so many movies that I've seen over the 42 years of my life. And this was freaky. This movie, (laughs) I don't know. I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did. But 
I mean, it, it's, it's a slasher. It's a comedy. It has, uh, just wonderful again another comedian that you know he's done more comedy than than any style movie and he played a vicious killer in this movie uh of vince vaughn and just i just i just i just fell in love with this movie the the lead character was you know she's such a such a little sweetheart and then all of a sudden becomes just this psycho babe and i mean it's just uh, it plays on all the all these tropes that I've seen a thousand times, and yet there I am, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, just like the you know, just shooting fish in a barrel, and I'm just right there, right on the top of the water, getting shot first. Because <laughs> I mean, I just there there wasn't any surprises to it, or and I could see everything coming a mile away, but yet there I am munching on my popcorn, sipping on my beverage, and just enjoying every every second of this and that's that's freaky that's 2020's freaky what did you think of this one there nathan i'd argue there was one big surprise he said there were no surprises the surprise is actually just how how much fun and how kind of heartfelt the movie ends up being like i you mentioned you say that you know vince vaughn's here playing it just a brutal killer but no he He's playing that killer for about two minutes. The girl you mentioned is playing that killer for the rest of the time. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say this is the Freaky Friday, you know, where they're mm-hmm. reversed. And so Vaughn's performance is really how is he going to play not just your average uh, high school insecure teen girl, but this specific teen girl. And there's a scene in this movie has nothing to the, – the kills are a lot of fun, by the way. This is from the people who did the uh, – you know, Happy Death Day, and I thought those movies mm-hmm. were cute, but they this kind of takes it to another level because it's firmly in that like eighty slasher vibe. There's there's really violent, brutal kills. One involving a wine bottle. That I thought was oh kind man, of the wine bottle. <laughs> and everyone's there's ones that probably people enjoyed even better than that, but the wine bottle and right at the top was a seemed like a very it's a very practical way to do that. But uh, the the scene that gets me, and I think also is where Vaughn is shining. He's He's in the body of the girl at this point, but he is in a he's in the dressing room. He's talking to his mother and her <laughs> mother. And it's this there's a half poignant scene where they're discussing what both of them have been feeling that they haven't been able to convey to each other about the loss of the father. And at the same time, he's he is fighting the fact that she is kind coming on to him and sort of <laughs> being sort of drawn to him while he's this is actually her daughter. This scene is so weird in how it's written, and yet they play it so well that you you get the feels, the poignancy, and you get the kind of goofball humor. And it's there's there's a there's several scenes in the movie like that in between all of this, and yet the other time you're just having the fun popcorn. Uh, Bill and I talked about well, there's aren't any fun slasher movies. This is probably the most fun slasher movie. Even though I don't think you walk out of it thinking slasher movie, you almost think, hey, this is a good this is a good date night movie. This is a good. It's not quite a good family movie, depending on your family. <laughs> but it could be if you got if you got older kids. I think it would be a good family night movie. It's just. It's a lot of fun. It's way better than you would expect it to be. Yeah, because guess what? That's my number two. Freaky. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and, that's, that's freaky, Bill, that you got freaky for number two. <laughs> and it, there's a couple things. The one actor in this film I thought that stole it for the limited amount of time that they had was Alan Rickman. 
Oh, no, sorry, not Alan Rickman. Um, what's his name? Uh, the, the Alan Ruck. Oh, yeah. Alan Ruck as the shop teacher. Plays this real piece of work. And he gets his comeuppance. And it is hilarious when uh, it finally comes to an end. Let's just put it that way. And you know what? It's, it's so much fun because from the ridiculousness of the mask... Like it's a, like it almost looks like a, a an upside down V made of like this obscure piece of wood or something. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's it's like a an, an a, a addendum to a, an amalgamation of all kinds of different serial killer masks. The fact that the uh, girl is a cheerleader and the school is the Beavers. <laughs> um, it, 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 like. At one point, the football team is doing their thing, and the guy goes, "You're the only beaver no one would touch." <laughs> I just started laughing, laughing, laughing. And, and at one point, they're having fun with each other, and Vince Vaughn is the girl in his body, and and he's she's enjoying what it's like to pee standing up, and I was rolling in that, but you know what? It was a lot of fun, and and the fact that always keep your watch five minutes ahead, kids. Because <laughs> that will make a big difference to you. It was so much fun. At one point when he wakes up and his body is switched and he wakes up underneath a bridge and there's another homeless man around him asking for drugs to feel like a, a young teenage girl. I was laughing at that scene. And, and it's a good take because if you notice, this, the movie opens up sitting around a campfire telling tales. Well, is that not just like Friday the 13th Part 2? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, people who made this know the know the Spider know. movies a bit. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, and they know I the Disney that, movies too that this is sort of based off of. So Freaky Friday, yeah. So you could go Freaky Friday the Thirteenth if you really wanted to, but I think probably copyright or whatever. Well, I think, yeah, I think Father and Son Much Horror speculated on their episode the same thing, and I'm, it's probably a safe bet that at some point in this movie's conception, it was thought of as Freaky Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, did they? Okay, see, I haven't heard that yet, Matt. I haven't. I didn't steal yeah. from you. I haven't heard it yet. No, no, no. I'm but just uh, that, yeah, yeah. But there's, but there's also obviously homages to Scream in this yeah. film, and and in like the 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 rebirth of the slasher. So I mean, it, it's a. I really enjoyed. it. I had zero expectations because I thought Vince Vaughn doing a horror. You know, he's going to be over the top. He is over the top, but it's a heck of a lot of fun over the top. So yeah. Yeah, a fun movie. So um, my number two is a movie that I just uh, I saw not too long ago, and it's uh, it's a Netflix movie. You can see this, and it's called His House, and it's uh, trying to think of the best way to describe this. It's a haunted house movie. It's even a very classically mounted i think ghost story in a lot of ways and yet there are enough wrinkles to it that they give it a a feel that makes it feel fresh and not just makes it feel fresh but makes it feel timely and in a sense almost like important uh i think that this is a movie i i always like it when movies can be um in a sense, empathy machines, I think is the term that Roger Ebert used to do, where you can create a sense of empathy for people that you may not share that life experience, and yet it makes you sort of feel it rather deeply. And his house, which is directed by Remy Weeks, it follows two Sudanese refugees who find their way. They're, they're um, in the UK, and they've come there, and they've come there through a lot of harrowing uh, circumstances, and 
now that they found their way here, they're in this small kind of squalid apartment in this uh, small English town. And, uh, and and actually, the, the Doctor Who himself, Matt Smith, shows them in, gives them the keys, and lets them know, too, up front, okay, well, you guys still, you know, you're here, but you could be sent back at any time if you violate all of these various rules. So they're sort of stuck in this house, and then the literal ghosts of the past start showing up here, and it's something has seemingly followed them from Sudan at, to where they live now. And the relationship here between the the two leads between this husband and wife and this and all the baggage and all of the mistrust and the darkness that's happened to them and they've had to hold on to each other and yet they've also things have changed in them since since they found their way here and so to everyone on the outside oh here's a couple refugees and they have this very detailed backstory and then when the ghosts start showing up these these are creepy specters that show up and they're constant and they are constantly uh, attacking the the mindset and the guilt of the husband and they're playing on the emotions of the wife and they have different it seems like this force has a different agenda with each family member and in different ways and watching them deal it reminds me of a movie from a few years ago called under the shadow where you had this uh, and that one took place in tehran and this woman and her daughter and there's a supernatural force inside the house but the turmoil of the world outside of that house is so oppressive that leaving that house leaving this situation that any normal person would immediately run out the door this should be their safe harbor, and yet it's filled with its own ghosts. In this case, literal ghosts. I thought this movie was amazing. I thought as a drama it worked, as a horror film it worked, and I didn't know where it was going as it got towards the end. I was so worried it was headed in a direction that was just it wasn't going to bring its pieces together, and yet I think it does so beautifully. I really love this movie. This probably could be number one Uh it, it, it might as well be number one. You know, the number one and two are pretty much tied for me. As a as a drama, this works beautifully. As a horror film, it works beautifully. I loved it. Yeah, I saw this one, oh, it's a few months back. And I, I enjoyed it. It didn't crack my top 20 because the supernatural element I thought was cool. It kind of got into the background of the Sudanese culture and kind of what follows you and your past sins come and follow you, etc. It was also an interesting take on how immigrants are treated. And so you could kind of take it on that level because they end up in this apartment building, that quite frank, or this apartment that isn't the best, but they have to make do with what they got. And it kind of is, is it going to be a survival just of immigrants in this foreign land to them? Or, and there's obviously more to it. So I thought the Supernaturals, there were some good scares and that kind of thing. I thought it was done well. I thought it was well acted. And for a Netflix film, see, I was I was just coming off of watching the other Netflix film, Cadaver. So it's kind of like, uh, okay, let's give this one a shot. Much better than Cadaver, this one. So I would say uh, give it a shot. If Supernatural is not your thing, it's still worth watching. And I think even though it didn't crack my top 20 or 25 I did have it highly ranked amongst all the ones I watched this year. Yeah. And as for me, I mean, it, it I really found it to be excellent, but it just kind of got pushed out of the old top 10. Um, but what a, what a great uh, drama with the, with the horror added. I mean, the, the ghosts, I mean, it, 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 again, it's something that you see right in the shadows and just, creeps you out and 
And, and, and it was the unknown. Where were they going to go with this? And w- there's a, a small twist within the story that just kind of had my jaw hit the ground. And I, I guess I was just, you know, so wrapped up with the story that once that part of the drama unfolded, I'm like, son of a gun. I, I don't know who I should cheer for now. Um, but it, it all kind of came together beautifully with a good finish. So, yeah, I definitely, definitely would tell people to see it, seek it out. Yeah, and I think for me, one of the, the strengths of this movie is that so often, and even in some of the movies we've already talked about tonight, that the relationship between the human beings and the ghosts, they're always of a, the basic relationship of this is a dark thing, we need to find it, how, what it, what it needs, what it wants, and then we need to find a way to get rid of it and or exercise it or to push it away. And this movie has a lot in common with and then that that is the goal right that that we find out why is this happening and what can we do but i think this movie has a lot in common with actually a a classic horror movie that i really love the changeling from the early 80s with georgie scott in the sense that there is very much about the relationship between what can we do with the spirit here the spirit we're taking spirit at face value for what it is we're not necessarily immediately going into a place of battle with the spirit we're trying to figure out what does it mean what does it want? And then how to deal with it in a realistic way. The two films that I think deal with what would it be like if you really had a ghost living in your house? And I don't think many movies usually jump right into the horror so that people are running away scared or they're staying around and not doing anything. These movies really deal with that idea of how would I interact with the supernatural force in a way that seems plausible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're on to the number ones. Uh, Greg, what is your number one horror movie of 2020? Well, my number one has already been mentioned twice. (laughs) (laughs) And when I saw this, which was one of the last movies I saw in theaters, I just, it met every expectation and then exceeded it. Because we've been in this dark universe time and time and time again. And you, you, you nailed it, Nathan, with how you explained um, how the story unfolded and, and that it's not just about the monster. Oh, and that monster would be the invisible man. So that's the movie that, that, that snuck in the number one. Um, and I think it's, uh, I, I would use the term lightning in a bottle, if you will, because, uh, with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss being the, the lead, and with Lee Winnell being the director, and they got some A-list cinematography, they got some A-list, you know, secondary, tertiary characters, actors, everything just seemed to just hit all the right spots for me. And being a huge fan of the Universal Monsters, and especially the uh, the Invisible Man, this thing just, I, I, I was blown away. I mean... Definitely never saw it uh, the way that they told the story. I never thought that that's how this movie would be told. And I thought it was brilliant. And I'm eager to see where they're going to take the character next. So, yeah, up and comings or upcomings or whatever you, however you say it, Bill, that the guy definitely gets it. And it, and it's brilliant. And um, I don't know what else to add for this movie, except if you haven't seen it, go and see it. So. That's my number one, The Invisible Man. 
Excellent. I don't know if there's any more that we need to talk about it, other than it was probably the best movie out until the pandemic hit. <laughs> and that they need to follow this up well like the the, exactly. the gauntlet down let's stick with this as a template let's not reboot this thing again with some well let's let's get into the the very quick debate of do you think they're going to follow this up with a sequel i'd rather they didn't i don't know what else needs to be told honestly i think at this point Let's keep the momentum and the energy going and let's tell a different story. Um, I don't think, I mean, we the, all the things that make this movie interesting and uh, effective have already been explored, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's the thing, the, the, the visible man is kind of a one-trick pony. He's invisible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he or she is yeah, invisible. I, I, I think they'll just use her as, as a, well, it's, Geez, hopefully that's not a spoiler. They'll use the Invisible Man as a concept for future movies. I don't think that they'll actually have a uh, in quote sequel for this movie. I don't think that'll happen. Oh yes, but then it, that what you just mentioned—the idea of like the shared universe—like if we go to, I don't know that I need to see Horror Avengers, but that's probably where it's headed. Um, I know that's what was trying to be headed when they did the Mummy one with Tom Cruise. I'm hoping mm-hmm. that I hope that when these things reboot, that we that those other movies are just supposed to be ignored. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, well, I just hope that they do it more tactfully than what yeah. they tried to do with uh, with with the Mummy because that was just wow. If there was ever a rip off of what they were trying to do with the Avengers, yeah, it was that was just like that was just blasphemous. Oh. That's why this bad. works. This is could be a if the if there is no dark universe, if this is just a standalone movie, then then this is it and it works perfectly. Nothing is nothing is taken away from it. So exactly. How about you, Bill? Number one. My number one has not been mentioned. I have gone, my last couple have been kind of fun ones, and this one will continue that trend. <laughs> my number one choice is VFW. From 2020. And this is a lot of fun. This film has a cast of veteran actors in it that you're all going to be familiar Playing with. Playing veterans. <laughs> Playing veterans. <laughs> actors who include Stephen Lang, William Sadler, who I just saw in, as death in the new Bill and Ted. Does <laughs> I, a love great job Sadler. I love them in Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's such a good actor, so versatile. And what's good about Sadler is he can play the tough guy or he can play the self-deprecating guy and p- turn both of them off really, really well. Pull both of them off. Fred Williamson, I, yeah, I don't think I need to say more. Martin Cove from Karate Kid, Cobra Kai, etc. David Patrick Kelly and everybody's favorite, George Went. And what happens in this film is that there is one of the people, these are, they're all veterans from Vietnam. One of them is a veteran from the Korean War. They go to the local VFW where the veterans hang out, drink, shoot the shit, remember their stories from the war. And all of a sudden, somebody shows up at the bar. And it's somebody who has a package of drugs. And they're trying to get away from this gang that's controlling the town and is going to be coming after her for the drugs. Now, this, these guys are sitting around, they're having a couple shots, smoking a joint, telling old war stories, and the gang shows up. And this isn't just your uh, gang that's a street gang with a couple little shotguns and little knives. They've got the whole arsenal with them. And they've got the whole gang showing up to try to get at the girl, to try to get the drugs back. And they'll take any means necessary to get in there. 
they don't they know that she's in there, but they don't know the circumstances of what's going on within the bar. So they have these five or six veterans who are all at a minimum 60. And I would hasten to say closer to 70. And they're taking on this group of young punks between 20 to 25 with their arsenal of weapons. So it's these five aging vets. And then uh, one or two, one guy just comes off, um, I think he was in Iraq. There's a younger guy that's there, or Afghanistan. I can't remember which one. But he's there as well. And their little brains have to come up with all their experience to beat off this army of young, well-gunned, and well-prepared uh, army of, of uh, street gang guys ready to come and get them. And let's just say it's a ball of fun. These guys, the, the street gang is drug-fueled. They're money-grubbing. They want the girl. They want to get revenge. They really don't care what they have to do to get out there. And it's these five old guys trying to fight them all off. And it's almost like uh, Attack on Pelham... I forget the name of the movie. Precinct 13. Precinct 13. And it's, you know, these old guys, it's almost like a grindhouse film from 2020. It it really is. It's a lot of fun. Don't take it too seriously. I love Martin Cove in this. Martin Cove just plays a real piece of work, but a lovable piece of work. William Sadler is kind of the guy that's been in Vietnam and he's bringing everything he's got. Stephen Lang is kind of the head of them. And Fred Williamson is kind of the one that he's got his wits to him. He's not going to jump and leap off emotion. But at the end, he takes a whole handful of the drug and says, I got him, boys. I really thoroughly enjoyed myself. I didn't think I would. I really did. I think you got to go see this film. Uh, there's some unique weapons used. There's hockey sticks. There's tennis balls with matches. There's chair legs with nails. You know what? And the funniest thing, at the end of the day, I, I was sitting there. All this is going on. There's not a police officer to be had anywhere in this town <laughs> while this is going on. I found it just a ball of fun. What did you guys think of this film? Yeah, I love this one, too. This is hovering just right outside of the top 10. It's so much fun. I think part of it is I, I, I would definitely consider for this list, but it's so much driven off of the action that I think as I was thinking of the list, you know, VFW just kept kind of coming in mind. It's just like intense action movie, but it really does feel like one of those kind of horror action films from the eighties that you would rent, you know, and you know almost nothing about it. This is the movie I wanted the expendables to be, you know, when they were going on about the expendables and everybody was getting themselves pumped up. And then my belief is the movie that showed up was very much a subpar, more like a nineties direct video movie and not the kind of movie you would want to expect it from all those actors. And yet here, are these guys who are a kind of second tier uh, but but are, are are probably arguably better actors than the than the people in Expendables. That they they really make you care about these guys. You like them. You like their dynamic. Even George Went, who doesn't quite have as much screen time as everybody else, like they're there. And there he is at the bar. You know, he's at the end of the bar, just like Norm would be. And uh, seeing David Patrick Kelly again, and, and and the way they, and then Fred Williamson when he does when he gets his moment where he's okay. You you, you kind of got to fight fire with fire. And he picks up the brick of the drugs. That's just 
the whole dynamic, and he mentioned these the, 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 the people they're fighting are sort of like well armed and well trained. Well, well, maybe one or two of them are, but the rest are like crazy zombies, you know, who just want the drugs. And at one point, they sort of just like throw the drugs out there in a giant cloud, and these people are storming in. So it has that almost like you know, Night of the Living Dead, like you said, uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. They're fighting their way out. Stephen Lang is a great like central figure for the movie. He's such a good actor. He's playing almost a variant of the same character except the the, the more uh, virtuous aspect of the character that was in don't breathe you know the blind vet in that film this is sort of the counterpoint to that where he's the the hero and um just very it's so much fun and it it, it almost goes into peter jackson territory at one point you know it becomes a splatter fest in a sense and uh and you have such a fun time with it it is it's absolutely worth seeing and I forgot to mention, this is directed by Joe Bagos. Yes. And Joe Bagos did Bliss and Almost Human. And there's a, it's a very um, interesting use of the American flag mm-hmm. and its pull in this film. I, I, I can't speak highly enough of this film. What did you think, Greg? Well, it it, it, it barely missed the old top ten. Uh, my only complaint was that it was so dark in some scenes that I actually thought that there was something wrong with my television. I, I had to sh- shut stop the movie and check check the levels yeah. on my television and it you know i hate using that as a as an excuse but it was just there were just moments where it was so dark that i couldn't even tell what was going on and i felt like that just was a hindrance of the movie um and that's and that's why it didn't crack the old top 10 but otherwise yeah it's it's bonkers it's crazy it's fun uh, and it and it was such a joy to see all those actors. Just even for one movie all together was great. Like like Martin Cove, he plays a guy that's a car salesman, and he plays that well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he has that. Like as Cove, he's always he's always played kind of the slimy character, you know. In a sense, yeah. And here he's like, he's like. I was going to say at one point he approaches the the uh, the gang and says, "You know, I'm so and so from the from TV. Don't you know who I am?" The guy's like. I have no idea who you are, sir. <laughs> but that's a nice touch. He's like he comes in there and and because so much of these 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 like drugged out freak mutant people, and he's sitting there. Don't you, you didn't see my my television commercial? <laughs> you know, it's, it's good stuff. So okay, well then on to my number one movie of 2020, which is maybe kind of a cheat because it's really a movie from 2018 although it was a chill it's a it's a movie from Chile that was released in 2018 it was primarily released over here this past summer and uh it is a it's you know running time wise talking about a movie it's only about 71 minutes this is a little bit over an hour it's an animated film it's called The Wolf House La Casa Lobo from uh Chile and it's a it's a really creepy unsettling it really kind of disturbed me it made me think it uh to me it was just taking me to such a different sort of universe and and, and world it combines fairy tales with uh social history and with sort of the 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 darkness that can kind of pervade childhood and innocence and you deal with the the whole movie is weird because it's presented as this almost like uh as you're watching the film this is a is a like uh it, it it it's basically a movie that's been created as propaganda to point out why this little community within Chile uh the uh the Colonia Dignidad which was a place that was uh 
there's this German fanatic and and really he's, he's also like a child predator who uh pay, takes this place that's supposed to be a a like solace and a haven and he turns it into basically like a a, a torture center and this is the film that we're watching the wolf house is supposed to have been created by this group as a allegory so you're seeing this presented and in the allegory you have these animated characters this little girl who's run away and she when she runs away she ends up living in this house with these little characters these little anthropomorphic animals and she sort of takes them on as her children and then the house itself starts to morph and change around them and uh, creatures are coming out of the walls and coming out of the woodwork and things are happening to these little characters and the whole time you're watching this in the context that this has been created by these oppressive people so there's a lot of layers to it but it is a horror film it is very kind of unsettling and frightening in the way a David Lynch movie would be unsettling and frightening and yet it is also poignant it's a telling a dramatic story you're watching the way a child's mind might try to deal with with these oppressive events that they wouldn't have much context for. But I will say this, that the elements that it's hinting at, that the this is not a movie that's putting that stuff up on display. It's showing the fallout from that and what that does to somebody's mind, what that does to somebody's psyche. And it's doing it through this stop-motion animation, which is beautiful and terrifying at the same time. It is, it's, it's, I, I can only think of maybe like a director like Swan, um, uh, like Swanmaker, who did uh, Alice, the uh, John Swanmaker did Alice in the 70s, and that movie that took Alice in Wonderland and presented it with stop motion taxidermied animals like a sense of that, but there's more story here. It's a very darkly beautiful movie, and I really can't think of anything that to me was creepier or then as a parent was just more kind of upsetting to see on screen. But again, it's also fantastical, it also it creates a universe and characters that are singular to this. And when you are in that world, you're in that world and it's a terrifying place to be. So that's my number one, the wolf house. I have not seen that. To be honest, I have not heard of it. So I should go look it up. <laughs> it's really good. It's on shutter right now. If you have shutter, I think you can also rent it for a few bucks from Amazon prime. Okay. Uh, Cause I, I've never watched a cartoon that deals with sexual abuse. So, it's more a so it's dealing with this history of this place, this this community, this compound, and this enclave. Like many of these kind of compounds, that's what ultimately happened. But the movie is not so much about that. But it's taking those dark events. What does that do? How does someone process those dark events? And it's showing almost like a child's mind. How would they coming out of this? present it to themselves and so you have all these pieces that you're slowly putting together and so i think that's what makes the movie creepy and effective without because yeah for me nothing takes me out of a movie more than uh even though when a movie has its it, it, its heart in the right place that presenting sexual abuse on screen to me is particularly as a parent something that usually drives me right out of something and it's not that that's what's being presented but that is the background to the story and it's it's dark it's it's finding these moments of beauty and horror uh, and, and kind of juxtaposing them against this um, uh, against this story. So it's very much a fairy tale, but a fairy tale with a very dark background. And to me, that's the central, uh, the, the central piece of horror, you know, is, is something sort of unsettling? Is it going to uh, both disturb you and make you think about the world? And I think that's what this one does. Definitely sounds intriguing. 
So it's it's on my list. I have not seen it, but it's right up. Uh, you know, stop motion animation. It's right. It's right there for me. Can, can I ask Greg how many are on your list as a result of this episode? <laughs> Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> eight. There you go. So uh, almost half of your guys's, <laughs> even though there was a few doubles there. Okay, so that's our top ten, and uh, I think, you know, again, a lot of strong movies there, a lot that didn't make the list. I want to go ahead and take time, just go around, and maybe we can each mention just very briefly our our, fi- our five runners-up, if you have five, if not, that's fine, and then we could talk about maybe any other movies we want to mention, but um, uh, Greg, why don't you go first with what your runners-up were, and you can kind of just mention the titles and any anything you want to say about them. All right, and I'll just mention some titles and why they didn't crack the 10. Let's go with The Hunt. I really found that to be very, uh, such another fun horror movie, but it also kind of was on that fringe. Maybe it was more action. Maybe it was more political, Um, but it definitely just had some good moments uh, that had me, you know, Obviously wanting to put it on the list. Um, Then I had The Dark and the Wicked. I found that to be on a lot of people's top ten lists. I watched it, and it is very dark and very wicked. And it kind (laughs) of left me with an empty feeling at the end. I mean, if that's what they were going for, they they nailed it. But again, it's one that um, I think if you believe in the subject matter that it deals with, it definitely gets underneath the skin and creeps you out really good. Um, you know, you guys had mentioned, uh, uncle Peckerhead. I'll skip past that. Um, there was this one called scare me. Now I felt that it, it, it was a great idea and concept. I just don't feel like it got delivered quite as well as I was, um, after watching it, it, it deals with, a, a two writers that are in a, a cabin and they're telling scare scary stories to try to scare the other person and it's just really kind of inventive on how it's uh portrayed but i just think that it needed a little bit more it just didn't have everything that that i i just wanted more um then there was this movie called alone that came was a recommendation from nathan and it just 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 skipped right out of the top 10 um Definitely creepy. Definitely has that um, uh, dual uh, breakdown kind of a feeling where there's this girl that's uh, alone and she's dealing with uh, a broken marriage and then she's being pursued on the road by a very uh, harmless looking man, but not harmless either because he just has that, you know, uh, Ned Flanders creepy kind of a look to him. Um, <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> and, and I, you know, since I have the honor of going first, then I have to also have the honor of mentioning probably one of the uh, hidden gems of 2020. And again, this comes from Nathan, but it was kind of a mutual conversation with Nathan because he says, Hey, Greg, have you seen this movie called Butt Boy? And I'm like, <laughs> no. I like, and I'm like lots no. of conversations like that. 
I'm like, no, Nathan. As a matter of fact, I saw that on Amazon Prime, but I kind of was like detoured by the title. And then Nathan comes back and says, yeah, I was kind of detoured by the title too, but yet it keeps popping up into my queue. So one of these days, I'm just going to break down and I'm going to watch it. And then one of those days came and I get a random message that says, hey, Greg, have you seen Butt Boy yet? And I'm like, no, not yet. We all were laughing. Ha ha ha. And he's like, no, Greg, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. It's it, you, you, you know, it's not don't let the title detour you. It really kind of snuck up on me. <laughs> Take and, a crack um, at it, I believe I said. <laughs> exactly. Take a crack at you it. And I'll try to squeeze know. it in. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and it, it fits all those butt jokes, but it has really nothing to do with I, the title is actually very brilliant because once you see the movie, it, it, it the title really uh, ta- uh, plays in what happens in the end. <laughs> in the end. <laughs> but, <laughs> but once once but. you see it though, but <laughs> yeah, once you see it. And the, the title does, is very key to the movie, um, you know, with the conclusion of the film. But it, do, it, it doesn't have anything to do with with <laughs> where you think it's going to go, but it's definitely worth a watch. And it's bizarre, but yet also very entertaining. And, you know, so those would be the, the, the five honorable mentions, which if I have to try to go through them again, it was The Hunt, Scare Me. Uh, dark and wicked alone and butt boy yeah i I pretty (laughs) much agree with everything said there about all those movies um and a lot of them didn't make the the top tens or or close to top tens for a lot of the same reasons you said i did love the hunt it's kind of right there floating outside there with with vfw again kind of an action movie but what what i did love about the hunt is the way that it presents the absurdity of how polarized people are now particularly in the internet um you know space because and and it was even played out by how people reacted to this movie who took it so seriously and were making comments about what this movie was or wasn't in you know including some people high in office when they knew nothing about it except the blurb that they heard somewhere you know it's i it's ironic that that's what the movie's trying to say that if it's saying anything at all is that through all this static it's friendly fire you know that's happening and we're sort of creating these scenarios because of our inability to to look at each other in the eye and and try mm-hmm. to like see ourselves as human beings and not as monsters, and so I did quite enjoy it. It has almost a Twilight Zone sort of flair there. Uh, but boy, the funny thing is, but boy does actually describe this movie, and that's kind of what the wild part is. Unlike Uncle Peckerhead, where that title is just sort of just there to be odd, and then the movie goes on without it. But boy is like the thing that's so surprising about But Boy is it's so more mature than the conversation we just had. <laughs> and then it tries to make a serious serial killer-esque film with those sorts of thoughts in it uh, about a guy who, who 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 seems to have some issue and the ability to suck things into his bottle. <laughs> the thing is, you, you can be as serious as you want, but the but the twelve-year-old boy in you kind of always kicks in. Mm-hmm. It is, but this movie's dark. This is a dark movie. Like it's a uh, it. You know, it isn't it isn't light and fluffy. I mean, it is funny at times, but it's it's more like ironically funny. I mean, would you agree? Like there are there are serious performances in this movie. The, oh yeah, and yeah. it's it's it is taking one sketch idea and stretching it into a film, but it's making a film that again, it's about the banality of evil to an extent, and the extent yeah. to which monsters can just can be as horrifying when they have no other agenda than their own 
selfish aims when they're just self-absorbed. And I think that <laughs> that's what is kind of fascinating about this movie. Yeah, it, it, it was poorly yet brilliantly named <laughs> because the, the name gets you and you're like, what the hell? But at the same time, it really isn't about, you think it's maybe something to do with sexual perversion or you think it's something to do with over-the-top gross silliness, but it's neither of those two. Like, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now, to be fair, it still has some, it does definitely cash in on some of that over-the-top goofy goofiness that you would assume, like, when someone's like, let's make a movie about a guy sucks things up his butt. Yeah, some of that stuff definitely. <laughs> in fact, there are all scenes taking, a, taking place in what is probably, you know, is best described as an intestinal cavern. It is pretty creepy um, and, and also just completely absurd. But, um, well, how about your, your five? Okay, well, my next five, the one that just missed it, and Greg talked about it also, was The Hunt. Uh, I thought The Hunt was well-written, well-done, well-acted, had a neat little twist at a certain point. I know that uh, the former president of your country banned it for a while. I'm not getting political or anything, but the irony is it makes fun of people on the left and the right equally. He didn't ban it. He just cried about it on Twitter. Okay, well, whatever <laughs> whatever happened, it didn't make it out at the time it thought it was going to. Um, another one was Spell, about people, somebody who whose dad has died, and he flies his plane down to West Virginia. The plane crashes in a storm, and with voodoo or hoodoo culture, things kind of go awry, and he has to survive in someone's house that's taking care of them. And she believes that this hoodoo culture can cast a spell and it's got religious fervor. And the first half of it was really strong. I thought it was going to be in my top 10. And then I found it kind of fell off in the second half of the movie, but I did enjoy watching the spell. Have either of you guys seen the spell? Yeah, I like no. it. I thought it was good. I do agree with you, um, uh, Bill, that I do think that it sort of, the first half is very strong and then it kind of just falls apart a little bit. And uh, in to the point that I, I didn't quite think that the story followed through, but if the story had followed through with the first half, I think it would have really been, it could have really been something. Now the third one is, I hate the term guilty pleasure. Cause if you like a film, you like a film. If you don't, you don't, but some people would say this under hushed tones. I like the movie called Aqua Slash <laughs> and Aqua Slash is a very short, I think it might be 70 minutes. If you push it 70, 75 minutes, it's a Canadian film. That's an homage to eighties slashers, where people are 25 years ago got killed at a water park and then a high school is now celebrating its graduation and the killings continue. And it's, I find it hilarious. I think it's a great homage. It's silly over the top. You got your nudity, you got your silly kills. You got, it's almost got a, a Giallo-esque feel because you don't know who the killer is till the end. There's twists, there's black gloves, and there's some, probably the most unique kill this season involving a water slide and a piece of metal. I, 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 I fell in love with the film. I, I, I'm guilty as charged. Um, another one in that vein that I enjoyed was Porno. And porno about a movie theater where uh, spirits kind of take over and a lot of action goes on. And there's a sewing scene involving testicles that will make every man squirm. 
That's all I'm <laughs> with that. And the last one is um, compliments of Jared Tuberville over at Horror Chronicles. Give him a listen. And he told me about We Summon the Darkness, about these girls that go to a heavy metal concert. And they meet uh, a band in the parking lot and they party with, drink beer, go to the concert, bring them back to one of their houses. They think they're going to have their way and have a wild debauchery. And it goes very, very different. Let's just put it that way. So watch that. Now, I have a couple others that I'm just going to throw the titles out there. Yummy, about uh, somebody who goes to get augmentation and things go wrong. Yeah. Uh, the movie the movie Nocturne, which is on Prime, which is one of those bumhouse ones on Prime, about ballet. Interesting film. Ghosts of War. I had zero expectations for Ghosts of War and ended up somewhat enjoying it. Uh, Blood Vessel. There's nothing, there's no, can't go wrong with Nazis on a ship. Let's just put it that way. And the last one that I know that uh, I told um, Nathan about that is a perverse, surreal, off-the-wall film I found on Tubi. Yes, I found it on Tubi, Tommy. The Berlin Bride. And That's a weird movie. The, Berlin, <laughs> the Berlin Bride is a very weird film about a somebody who finds part of a mannequin and somebody else has the other part. And it's... <laughs> It's bizarre, but it stuck with me. So that's all I'm going to say. Okay. And uh, and Aqua Slash, you say it's a reminiscent of a giallo because, you, you know, uh, you talk about the identity of the killer. But I'd say it's more like urban legends <laughs> from 1998. <laughs> the kill that Bill is referencing in that movie uh, involving a water slide of sorts is absolutely ridiculous. The movie this kind of really reminds me of are the those Piranha 3D movies from the late okay. 2000s. It's like it, it's intended, I think, to be a, a, taken with that same kind of vein. I did not enjoy it nearly as much as Bill. But I, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm an old slasher fan. I love it. Have your tongue planted firmly in your cheek. I'm a planted tongue, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I will, but but I will say that yeah, I think that for me it was so much of the surface level. It was about like it felt like ninety minutes of a kill, like it was if Final Destination only had those deaths, you know. <laughs> but th there's fun to be had in that. I think I want to me. I wanted something, another little wrinkle, like a movie like Final Girls or something had, but. It's very colorful. It is if you enjoy those slasher movies, you can sit there and just have a, it is the like beer and pizza slasher night kind of movie. You know, for uh, Bill's talked many times about movies like called Microwave Massacre. So something mm -hmm. like Aqua Slash goes perfectly well with that. And I have never <laughs> seen that particular kill done in a movie before. So there's that. It's sort of how you can recommend all of Ghost Ship because of the first two minutes of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and this is better movie than Ghost Ship, but. Uh, <laughs> I will uh my my five I won't I'm, I'm just gonna mention as I'll put the top 20 up on my top 20 uh after this episode comes out up on letterbox and you can check uh check it out over there it's Nathan Bartleball at, at, over at uh letterbox and I think it's obviously up for Phantom Galaxy but the I'll just mention five that haven't been that are five are within the top 20 that haven't been mentioned so that we're just getting a couple other titles out there but some of them and I concur with all the ones that you guys have mentioned they're all they've all been good uh, one that I really enjoyed uh, quite a bit was called after midnight and it's uh, uh, directed by Jeremy Gardner and Kristen Sella and Gardner's kind of been all over the place uh, in the indie film scene a bit. I really enjoyed him in the battery and he's really good here. This movie, I will say, uh, if you were a horror fan, this idea 
that this movie is a full-blown horror it's not really it's maybe more of a romantic movie first and then horror secondary there isn't a lot of full-blown horror in it but it deals with a situation where this guy's girlfriend just sort of suddenly leaves him and it makes things very hard for him and then what starts to happen is every night since she's left there's a monster trying to break into his house he doesn't quite see it but he knows it's coming in and he can see the tracks of it around the house and he kind of waits for it there with a shotgun and many times you think you can anticipate where this movie's going and it really doesn't go that way and i mean honestly for no other reason there's plenty of reasons for this movie to be on the list but for no other reason than there's a great scene involving lisa Loeb's stay <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, there is. And, uh, yeah, that to me is maybe one of my favorite scenes in a movie this year. But um, after midnight, I really enjoyed it. I, that's one of the five. Uh, the other ones that uh, that I wanted to mention: there's uh, La Llorona from this year, which is a Spanish language film, not to be confused with the Curse of La Llorona. This one is a more of a dramatic feature. The ghosts are inhabit more of a slow burn kind of story. The characters are strong. And the haunting elements are strong. I also really loved, um, I guess, in, in the Canadian vein there, Bill, anything for Jackson, which oh yeah, which I think has some of the creepiest supernatural moments I've seen in a movie this year. I think yep. uh, it doesn't quite all come together, but it also has two really great performances uh, r- right up front by. Um, you know, you've got Sheila McCarthy and Julian Richings. Julian Richings is awesome in this movie. And uh, as the kind of father who's a little reluctant to do the things that are being done in this movie, but you have a couple who have kidnapped a woman and they are trying to find uh, a way to bring their dead grandson back. And that element plays out pretty well uh, in the, in the, in the course of the film in the sense that it gives you uh, a lot of emotional stakes, but then it sets up the theme for some incredibly creepy uh, supernatural figures to come across uh, the landscape of the movie. And so you have that one. You've also got a movie called Amulet that I really liked, another slow burn movie. It probably fits in well with that, the Re- with Relic and the Dark and the Wicked. Although I think that with Amulet, it kind of goes some places that you're not expecting. It really ramps up in the second half and just goes kind of off the wall in a really interesting oh, yeah. way. And I think it kind of, you know, that to me adds something to the movie because it isn't just sort of the slow burn creep fest, it then becomes something kind of a kind of original and original to the point that I was sort of left just scratching my head. That doesn't always happen to me. Uh, and then the last one I want to mention is, uh, hold on one second. Let me just do the count on that. How many movies did I mention? Four. Midnight and You've mentioned four. I mentioned four so far. Okay. The last one I want to mention is a movie that came close to making the list, but it did not. Uh, some of it may have to do with some of my expectations going into it, but it was Hunter Hunter. Uh, again, 2020 movie, another film that I went in thinking I was going to see one thing and saw something else completely. And yet, I think it's a really interesting horror film. It's a movie. It's very moody. It uh, deals a lot with a lot of different elements you expect in a horror movie. The suspense of what happens when something terrible uh, comes for your family. In this case, you have this guy, uh, this family, a bunch of trappers they are living out in the wilderness. He's trying to teach his young daughter to be prepared for everything. And he's hunting what, you know, he's looking for this rogue wolf. He tells his family he's going to go off and find this wolf. And so there's that element of dealing with the invisible terror that may be on the horizon, that, that slowly building suspense in a horror film that you have. Then you've got the whole element of tracking this, uh, 
this creature that's out there. And then you have where the movie ultimately goes, which is you get your slow burn horror movie, you get your slow uncoiling suspense, and then you get sort of that kick punch in the gut horror movie thing that you don't often get in a film where it just totally sidelines you, blindsides you rather, and just bam, you're hit right in the head and it runs off before you can even you can even react to it. And I think yeah. that's where I felt gobsmacked a little bit by the movie. It's not 100% effective to me because I don't know if all those disparate pieces come together, but it is a wild ride. And I really appreciate, I did not expect much from the movie. And I, I, I think I admire what it did more than I enjoy it as a film. But there it is, Hunter Hunter, directed by Sean Linden. I'm, I'm going to tell everybody out there, I freaking love that film. I, I, it, I really enjoyed it. And yes, it is a slow burn. It kind of takes you here, there, and the other way. I'm telling you right now, it's the best ending to a movie I've seen since Murders. I yeah. love the end of that film. Yes, it's a very it's a very rewarding and and redeeming ending. The only I had two issues with it, and and basically the one issue, which, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but you have this family that's been living out in the wilderness and they're trappers. How did they not be able to track the other things that are going on within these woods? That's that's the bizarre thing, and I'm not, again, it's not spoiling anything, but when you when I thought about that, I that's the was the big. I just don't know because I've I've met trappers, I've met people that are good at tracking, and one of the things that they definitely have is a great sense of smell, and when he stumbles upon what he finds. There's no way in my mind that he would not have been able to smell that from a distance or track it. So that's where, sorry, I, I that was the big letdown for me. <laughs> Who uses logic in a horror film? Come on! I know. I'm and sorry. I, and I, can, I can cut this out later if it's, I'm not going to say too much, but isn't there an implication, though, towards the end that this is what he was doing the whole time and he just didn't tell One me. that I was going to mention that I didn't is a low-end horror that's on Tubi called Don't Speak. Hmm. And on uh, IMDb, it gets like a 4.1 and it's low budget. There's no doubt about it. Because that's a, our a lot of contract at work, folks. <laughs> that's it. But it is a low budgeted version of um, oh, crap. Oh, what's the one uh, that had the guy from the office where you can't speak? The Quiet Place. The Quiet Place. It's a low end version of The Quiet Place. And it goes a few places that was better than I expected. So if you're really, really begging yourself to find something, look up, don't speak. That, that, that poster is horrible. It is absolutely god-awful with some kind of monster in the background and a guy walking out of a barn or something. Ignore that and just watch it for what it is with tempered, extremely tempered expectations, and you might get something out of it. I almost mentioned when you guys were a completely different subject, What when you were talking about a color out of space, and actually I, I noticed that in also in a dark, uh, the dark and the wicked, this finger horror, it's just too much for me. If you know <laughs> what I mean, holy smokes. I, and both sequences, I, I, had to glance away for a second because I'm like, they're going there. They just went there. Oh my gosh, they're not stopping. Oh, 
So yeah, well, I just this movie I just watched tonight had foot horror that was also girl, which uh, was also with the beach house of the foot horror. But you know, there, you may not want to watch a movie on Shutter right now called Fingers. So that's and for anybody listening, I found it interesting that nobody in all these movies nobody mentioned the lodge. Uh, the only other one I would talk about is a South Korean film called The Closet, involving a girl that goes missing because she goes into a closet. Yeah, it's a fun movie. And it's a kind of a fun movie. Like it's you don't gotta think too much. Just watch it as long as you don't mind watching subtitles, which is the way you should watch this film. Mm-hmm. It's if you like Asian horror, you're gonna like the closet. Yeah, I'll mention two more too. Uh Canadian Blood Quantum is another decent good take on a zombie movie. You mentioned hashtag alive. I think Blood Quantum is good too. It's a it's from a different perspective. The other one I would mention is Joe Marcantonio's movie Kindred. Uh, that deals with a woman who ends up, uh, she's pregnant, and she ends up in uh, her boyfriend's like family home. It's a crumbling manner, and you've got some cool supernatural elements. I don't want to say too much more about the movie than that, but the, but Kindred is a, is a pretty good uh, horror film as well. It particularly, it falls into the supernatural realm of things, so I would throw that one out there. And, there, and then one last one was one I watched the other day called Run. I like that one. Oh, okay. Run. About a girl in a wheelchair and what her mother has done with her over the years and what family secrets come out. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I'd also, you know, um, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed Underwater from the beginning of the year. Oh, Uh, yes, Underwater. Yeah, it's kind of an an underwater catastrophe type thing. Yeah, aliens mixed with a little bit of the abyss. I mean, Kristen Stewart, I thought, gave a pretty good performance. It was some fun monster attacks. It was another one that my kids and I could kind of sit down and watch and share together, and it it was reasonably entertaining. I like those early January dumps Mm -hmm. when they give you some kind of monster movie usually, and this was no exception, and I, I liked it. Yep. Okay, well, that's it. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, thank you. I, um, uh, Greg, you can go ahead and let everybody know where you can find you. I know you're on Letterboxd as well. I'll have my list up. Yeah, I ha- I'll, I'll end up putting up my my list now because I've been kind of keeping things off off of Letterboxd for a few weeks. Um, but, yeah, I'm on Letterboxd. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, you guys can find me. And if you know, just reach out, say hey, and I'm willing to talk about anything, really. So, yeah, you're our phone a friend. Yep, I'm a good phone a friend. It's like <laughs> me to pal, but just you know, yeah, yeah, right more like pal. a phone a friend. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say, but you, you probably are smoking meat in your hand, as we call it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I just wanted to give a shout out to a couple podcasts that I've kind of been connecting with, and they're really good. The Horror Chronicles with uh, with uh, Jared Tuberville, uh, fantastic, and Ryan, fantastic uh, podcast. And one I've just recently been accustomed to, Hounds of Horror with Cat and the boys. They're doing a great job, and uh, we're trying to hook something up with them. So give them a listen, Hounds of Horror, Horror Chronicles. And, of course, Matt and Son Watch Horror Movies, Real Talk Podcast, Evil Jelly, uh, Considering the Cinema, and, of course, Horror... Uh, uh, what's it called? Horror what movie podcast. Horror movie podcast. <laughs> that, that podcast with a really hard to remember name. <laughs> it's in the tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to mention uh, Horror Movie Weekly, which is where Jay of the Dead, uh, Jay Piles, is uh, currently. In, a, in addition to Consider the Cinema, and he's got two new co hosts over there. Uh, and uh, with uh, uh, Watsy, uh, who is it? Um, 
Watson. Yeah, Watson over there and uh, uh, Channy Dreadful. They're doing a, a, a great job. They're the new co-hosts along with Jay. So uh, that's a great show. They they release every Sunday. So, yeah. And then, of course, uh, here at the Phantom Galaxy, you can find us at Phantom uh, Phantom Galaxy with an F over at uh, Twitter. And you can find us Phantom Galaxy on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, we've got, so we've got the next episode coming up with uh, Victor. We've also got um, – we just had and the first episode of The Illustrated Fan – uh, and we've got uh, Dave's, uh, we've got Bill and uh, Dave Roy coming up soon with the first uh, episode of the music centric podcast too. So a lot of good stuff. And then we have a lot of, we have a lot of, uh, of, of uh, guest, guest appearances coming up too. So, but anyway, guys, thank you. And here's to a great 2021. It's uh, Phantom Galaxy signing out. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.